internet. You are tuned into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com. What Shit. up, B? What's going on, Combat? Listen, we got to take care of business first. Yes, Y'all sir? already know what I'm going to say. This episode of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by our great, great friends over at Bevel, the first and only shaving system designed specifically for coarse, curly hair, and sensitive skin. We're talking about nappy hair, y'all. Naps. <laughs> Check out GetBevel.com today. Use the code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, to get 20% off your first month at GetBevel.com. That's G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L.com. Yeah. Yo, man, listen, this this episode right here is is, is is a very special one. You know, usually internets, we interview entertainers and executives and managers and producers and party promoters and all types of people, man, that, that, that really contributed to this culture of music and entertainment. But this one right here, man, this one is so special, man. This takes me back to my younger days, man, growing up in the 80s when New York city was the wild wild west man and it was all types of shit that was going on that we couldn't even compre- comprehend in our young minds this one right here man you know it takes me back you know to one of the greatest biggest cases not only in new york city but in american history man we're talking about the central park five and we have one one of the individuals from the central park five here tonight on the combat jack show Internets, I welcome to the Combat Jack Show, Mr. Santana Raymond. Right. Yo, welcome to the Combat Jack Show. <laughs> Thank you. Yo, why, why, you, why, why you laughing, man? Because <laughs> I'm in that, in that, in that, yeah, in that, yeah. yeah you're going. Showtime, yeah. baby. It's showtime. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. One day at a time. Good, man. You looking fresh? I'm trying. The shoe game? What do you think about the That's shoe clean. game, Pete? It's clean. Listen, he, he knows what it is before he, anything, anything happened to him. He was fresh beforehand. Yeah, I want to talk about that, man. You know. Coming up from the 80s, man, and, and, and looking at the images, particularly watching a documentary, um, uh, Central Park Five by Ken Burns and Sarah Burns. You know, one of the things that that I really like wanted to talk to you all about, man, was like just the swag y'all had. You know what I'm saying before before the nightmare, before the horror. Yeah. You know what I'm saying you look at the images of you were like 14 years old. Yeah. Hair, haircut was clean. What, what was you wearing back then, man? You know, um, back then we used to stay in the gap a lot. Mm. You know, I had a dude uh, up in my neighborhood named Lynn Swan who used to cut my hair, you know, every week for $5. Right. You know, um, and when I moved to Harlem, it was it was totally different. Everything was fast paced. And, and, and I like to hang out sometimes with the older dudes in my neighborhood and they was wearing Averex jackets. You know, and they was wearing Tim's forty below. Yeah, and, forty below. You know, you know, Class. And yeah, yeah. so, you, you, you know, you got you got to you got to do like they do. Yeah. You know, and so that's how I started to pick up a lot of that swag at a young age. Yeah. And then when I got to school and I started to see them girls, I was you know, I got to step my game up. I can't be coming here looking crazy. <laughs> nah, man. You know, and, I like and, that you said the haircut was getting fresh every week. Man. Every week, every week. I, you know, I used to save my little lunch money and I would go see my boy Lynn Swan. He would cut my hair. You know, it was five dollars, so yeah. it was it was cool. What, what was on your feet other than the forty belows, man? You know, uh, oh, Air Force Ones back then, because mm-hmm. you know, remember they had the hot tops with the straps, yep, yep, yep. and so you the know, uptowns, the uptowns. Yeah. That you know, you know, we used to go up to we used to go up to Jew Man in the Bronx, mm-hmm. and we used to get them. You know, and it was legendary about, spot. Legendary spot. You know, you had to go out there with your boys because they try to rob you. Yep, for yep, yep, yep. You know what I'm saying? And my brother-in-law, he lived in the neighborhood, so it was no problem to go in there and, and get the triple fat goose right. or the G Man coat. You know, and so, you know, that's how I was yeah, at what, 14. What do you remember most about those days, man? Like I said before, the nightmare, man. Like, what were some of the best moments of your life? You know, for me, it was, you know, I, I used to love to go to school, right? Because... Where'd you go to school? I went to school on 109th uh, and 3rd Ave. What school? Junior high school in 17. Okay. And it was about five different schools in the building. So there was a lot of girls. So you always had to come in there 
you know, on your best. And, right. and, and some of the dudes that I hung out with, they would fly, you know. And so we was always into hip hop. You know, we always listened. You know, I used to, like I said in the film, I used to literally uh, uh, record the videos and put them on the tape, on the VHS. And I would just play them all day when I was in the house. Video, that was my radio. Video music box or, or, or Yo MTV? Yo MTV and a little bit. And video, video music box, we got hipped on it like a little bit after. Right. But uh, uh, Yo MTV was big. Yeah. And so, and, and sometimes even my boy, he would tape me, he would give me the tapes, and I would just be playing them in my house. And my dad would literally come in and be like, yo, you still rocking this? It's a VHS. <laughs> this ain't even a box. Right. You know, but it was. That was that was my music. Yeah, what what what, what were you into? Like, what some of the, what name some of the groups? Big that... Daddy Kane was the first artist that like blew me away. Yes, you know, um, you know to, to you know to hit you know to spit the bit the rhyme the rhyme, and that mm. killed me. Cause and I get raw. I get raw. Right. It had me, and I was hooked. And he was my favorite artist back then. Okay, you know, and then later on, you know, it was Rock Him, and 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 cause you know he started kicking the stuff that I didn't really know, but I got in tune later on. Right. But Big Daddy was Big Daddy was, was crazy, EPMD. Man. EPMD was another one, you know, like that era, I was I was hanging out a little bit more. And so the older dudes, they was coming to Suzuki Jeeps and they was playing that. It's my thing, you know. And, and so who that EPMD? Oh, the dudes with the with the with the with the uh, with the link chains and all that. And, and that became one of my favorite groups. Yeah. I mean, even though, you know, it was the crack era, I can't even imagine how Harlem was popping. Yeah. Back then. Yeah. Popping. I mean, I we I lived on 119th and Lexington, right? And so, you know, back then it was so much traffic coming through. You know, dudes would come through with their cars. I mean, Slick Rick came through when he had a, he had a, a a Benz. You know, Rakim came through. He had a white Benz with a blue rag top. They always drive down. You know, Lexington Ave, Alpo. You know, what I'm saying Rich Porter. These dudes came through. These are popping avenues. You know, and and so we would stand out there in front of the bodega and. It was that's how it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you take it all in. A lot. It's a lot of action going on at one time. Yeah. You know, but it was. It's <laughs> crazy, man. What kind of student were you, man? I was good. You know, I mean, I was finding my way. I had some issues back then because I lived in the Bronx, and then coming to Harlem was a whole different. It was new for me, and so uh, uh, it was an adjustment. You know, and so I was an okay student. Right. I wasn't straight A's. Right. You know, I was having trouble. Were the kids wilder in, 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 in Harlem? Was it that also, like, the kids that you was around? Nah, you know, it, they was a little more hip. Right. You know, they was a little more hip. You know, they wore the chuckers and and, 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 and the leather coats. They, you know, it was a little more hip. They wasn't that much. They wasn't wild. Right. They wasn't soft either, though. Right. But, you know, we would love, when I started getting good with the dudes in, at my school, we would love to go to other neighborhoods and hang out because they might know somebody in Tav houses. And so we would go to Taff and, you know, we try to talk to your girls in your neighborhood. You know, if we come in there, we looking fly. Right, right. That's what we do. Yeah, was you, was you scooping them, 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 them young things, all the, man? All, off the, you already know. <laughs> you know, and, and even that night, that night, I was hanging out with some dudes from Taff. Right. And we was going to Schaumburg because there was a party. And that's what we do. I don't really know too many dudes in Schaumburg, but we're going to go over there and hang out because right. they got some girls over right. there. So, so y'all was headed to a party. Yeah. And so and so going over to going over to Schaumburg, uh, you know, them dudes, there's a lot of them dudes in front of the complex. They always hung out in front of the buildings. And and we over there, I'm just hanging, you know, because I'm there with some of my boys. And I don't know whose idea was to go into the park, right. but they just went into the park and I just followed. Right. You know, I was 14 years old at yeah. the end of the day. You know, I was still a follower. 
So I just followed the group. And I never really been in Central Park. You know, so word? That, was, that word because I came from the Bronx and then I lived in Harlem. I started to live in Harlem. I didn't go to the park like that. Right. So that was like my first real experience of going in there. Do you fuck with Central Park right now? Hell no. <laughs> like You can't pay me to go in that mall. Yo, that's crazy, man. And, and it's bad because, you know, my daughter is 10 years old. Right. And for a long time, I don't live too far from the park. And for a long time, I ducked the park. Like, wow. I didn't take her over there because right. she would see those playgrounds and want to go in there. Right. Nah, we ain't doing that. But she understands. Right. She don't even ask. That's crazy, man. You know, I can walk by it. And I've been on Central Park West with my wife, and we walked through there, but I would never step foot into that shit. Wow, that's crazy, man. You know you know what's fucked up, man? It's, it's all of us, all kids. As kids, we do dumb shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember one Halloween in high school, you know what I'm saying? It was like five of us on my block with the eggs and then we went around the corner through the eggs next thing you know it was 10 of us we went you know a couple more blocks down next thing you know it was 25 of us yeah. and it's halloween mm -hmm. we ran out of the eggs now we throwing rocks you know what i'm saying just dumb shit yeah but we wasn't criminals we wasn't trying to i mean sure i'm sure the, we, we wasn't trying to hurt nobody but we were still throwing rocks at people yeah. dumb shit that kids do yeah and, and 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 we all know that the white boys do crazier shit it's kids. It's kids being kids, man. That's right. So, so that night, man, like, like you, you, you in the park, with, the, with, and you, and you see crazy shit. Yeah, yeah. But it's a lot of events that happened that I didn't see. Right. Because early on, the police came. Right. And when they flashed the light, the group scattered. So, that time that we was looking for people, shit was going on. Right. So it's some of that stuff that I didn't see. Like there was, they said that there was a, a group on a, a couple on a tandem bike. I didn't see that. Right. Um, and you would have seen that. Like, you yeah. you can't ignore you. I mean, yeah. a tandem bike is still a rarity in 2014. Exactly. exactly. And they said they got harassed by some kids, but I didn't see that. I wasn't right. there. And um, there was a dude who they described as the bum who got assaulted. I didn't see that either. Right. I came at the end of that. Right. You know? And and What's the worst shit you did in the clique? The, nothing. Right. Just the worst thing I did was be with the clique. Right. You know, I was, I was 14 years old, and we talking about... 90 pounds, 100 pounds soaking wet. What yeah. am I going to do? Yeah. But but did you know everybody in the crew? Or is it No. I like, like I just said, like you go one block and you click up with somebody else. and Yeah. And yeah. that's what happened because some of the Schaumburg boys was in there and I didn't know. The, the, the other four, I didn't know. I didn't know Yusuf. I didn't know Kevin. I didn't know Corey. I didn't know Antron. You know, and that's why it became so easy to pin us against each other. Right. You know, because we didn't, we didn't know each other. Only people who knew each other in that group was... uh. Corey and Yusuf. Yeah, you know, I, 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 watching the documentary, the the I think they did a great job of portraying your relationship with your pops. Yeah, how was your pops, man? No, he's good. He's good. You know, I mean, he went through a lot, and you know, during these those, those past twenty five years, I mean, you know, this man got ridiculed. You know, uh, uh, you know, there was always that bullseye on him. And he, yeah, they they blamed the parents. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and. As a parent now, that I'm a parent, and you know, like, and for those of you guys who are parents, you know, like, your one job is to save your kid. Protect mm -hmm. your kid. Protect your kid whenever right. the situation goes down. And at that moment for him, he he felt like he failed. Right. He failed. That one job, that one duty. You had and, one job and... You, and he failed it. Right. And that killed him. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so... I can imagine. Yeah. And that's where the drinking came in. Right. You know, and... and he, you know, he went through all those feelings for all those years until the exoneration. You I know, felt the big, big depression your father must yeah, have felt. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, it's funny, I was telling a combat earlier, I think that, 
you know, when when you go to jail, um, you, in in this situation, obviously, you know, you you weren't guilty. Mm-hmm. But when people go to jail, they don't realize how they take their whole families with them, you know, and how you know it, it, their parents suffer or, or other people suffer. And it, 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 so looking back, like you know, your family went through this with you, yeah, even more even more so as you did, yeah. And, and and because it was a big case, also like these people. These people that want to make other people savages are so savage in their thirst for blood and revenge, man. Like, I can't imagine. Like, was was your father's job in jeopardy or anything like that? Well, you know, he was part of the union, so right. it wasn't in jeopardy. But he's, you know, he, you know, he went through a lot, man. People looked at him, you know, they talked about him. Um, and, and there was always that, that's his father right there. There was a lot of death threats that came to the house, hate mail, right. you know, use of... When we go out and speak, you know, he still has a lot of those letters and they're dated, you know, April 28th, April 20th, 1989. Right. Those same letters, you know, some of those are obituaries. There's one that says, um, you know, 20 years, 30 years from now, you know, somebody's going to tap you on your shoulder one day to say hi. Damn. That's a death threat, meaning, yeah. you know, it don't matter. At, the, at, at 40s, we can, we can come and kill you. You know, and, and that's what we had to deal with. Yeah. Now, watching the documentary, your, your pop said that he was the one that was like, the streets is too hot. Why don't y'all go to the park? Was, do you remember that? You know, it was like not that night, right. but in just in general, you know, it's like, you know, don't be on the streets because, you know, they out there dealing and police, you know, and, and it was and a crack era. It's a crack era. You know, go find something else constructive to do. You know, and, and that's what more of it, what it was. What'd you want to be, man? What were your aspirations at 14? I know you said you were trying to, you were coming into your own. We really don't know what we want to be. We but- really don't know. I mean, you know, at 14, I used to love to sketch. Mm. You know, I used to love to draw. I used to, you know, I used to, um, you read comics? I, I loved comics. What, what comics were you reading? You know, some X-Men was my, my joint. John Byrne. Yeah, you know. Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a, that was a golden era. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, Wolverine, I, I, you know, Spider-Man, I, you know, I was a big Marvel head. You know, I had boxes. I had, you know, I remember buying Ninja Turtles, the first issue, right. like, back then. Wow. You know, I had boxes of comics, and that was my thing, and I used to love the sketch. So you, in a sense, also kind of like a nerd. Yeah, almost. Almost, you know, I I, I jumped over a, the fence here and there. He was not, a nerd with know? some swag. No, but, yeah, but, 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 but a lot of us was, you know what I'm saying? No, like, definitely. A lot of us was. Like, one of the things that I'll never forget when we had Mano on the show, you know, Mano says a lot of us come from the hood, but all of us aren't necessarily hood. That's mm-hmm. right. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That's right. And and I remember, like, I was into, like, I knew cats in the street. You know what I'm saying? I like to think that I was fresh, even though my co-host, Premium Pete, thinks I was corny back in the day. No, I never said corny. You know what I'm saying? He wore a lot of turtlenecks. I didn't wear it. Fuck you, man. I didn't have no fucking turtlenecks. But I kept <laughs> comics on me. But yeah. the, the climate was... You know, you'd read your comics, and then when other cats came on the train, you just slid them away just so that you wouldn't get tested. Yeah, or you kept them in the book bag till you got home. Yeah. You know, that's what I used to do. I, I read them in the crib. Yeah. So I had stacks of them in the cribs, and, and, and that's where I read all that stuff at. Santana, where was your mom's, man? You know, my mom's lived in the Bronx. Okay. And at that time, she got sick. Okay. And she passed away when I was in prison from wow. cancer. Well, did they did they get divorced? Your parents or they separated? Yeah, they got divorced. Okay. Yeah, they had they wound up getting divorced right before she got sick. Right, and and how did that affect you at the time? Man? You know, it, I was in college at the time in prison. Right, and and I was doing horrible. You know, I was doing horribly in my first my first semester, and and I had this one class, and it was a, a environmental issues class, biology, and I'm like, uh, I'm not gonna make it, and. 
the professor knew what I was going through, and he said, you know what? I'm going to give you a chance. Write a paper, and if the paper's good, I'll pass you for the class. That's crazy. And my paper was on cancer, and he passed me. And that's how I made it out my first semester in college. That's crazy. You know, and but that whole period for me with her, you know, it was rough. I, you know, uh, And I, I could imagine the stress that this whole yeah, bullshit. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't even cut my hair for like two weeks. I didn't want to do anything. And it took a senior counselor, took me in a room one day, and he said, listen, he said, you know, I know you're going through a lot. He said, write your mom's a letter. And I said, you think that works? And he said, yeah. And I said, whatever. I walked away, and I locked in one night, and I wrote the letter in 10, 20 pages. And, and that's what pulled me out of that. Right. You know, and then after that, I, I was able to ship up and get back to work and, and, and get my degree. Yeah. That night, I mean, you tell the story a lot, you know what I'm saying? But this is the first time you're telling it on the Combat Jack show. That night, like after everything in the park, you guys came out, right? You, mm -hmm. you, where'd, you, where'd you guys go? No, what happened was we was I was well, we was walking up uh, Central Park West right. when I got apprehended by a detective named Officer Reynolds. Okay, um, not a detective; he was a police officer. Police white, officer, white, 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 black, black, black officer right. who was just recently in the Daily News this past week. Because he's he's the guy that's claiming he invented the term yeah. wilding. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, is he fucking crazy? Yeah, I, and I, you know, and the thing that bugged me, I would say, he's you, wilding out. You want credit for that shit? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, you know, he's uh, I'm the one who 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 put in the report wilding and Wolfpack, and I said this, and there's a black dude at yeah. that, and it's like, wow, you want credit for that? Yeah. Right, fine. How how did how did he approach you, man? No, what happened was that um, uh, the group was ahead of me. Right. Right. I was walking by myself, and when he came, jumped out of his car, the group ran, but I kept walking. And he grabbed me, and he grabbed the other kid by the name of Steve Lopez. Right. And we were the ones that got arrested that night. Right. And then um. And you weren't running. Nah. Right. I was just walking. The the group was like at least you know there was steps ahead of me. So when they scattered, you know, and um. And I just kept walking, and I got to the corner, and he grabbed me and put me on the wall. Had cops ever fucked with you before? Nah. Yeah. So this is the first. This is your real first interaction. Real first with, with quote unquote law enforcement. That's correct. And what is he telling you? You know, I said what I do, and he, and he um he put me on the wall, and um I kept questioning like why you stopped me, why you stopped me, and he what was it, what was your attitude like? No, my you know, I had an attitude, right. you know, cause like why you stopping me, and he, he pulled us walkie talkie, and he hit me in the back of the head with it, right, and I stopped talking after that. And then um, Steve started talking, and Steve was like, yo, you know, you stopped me. I ain't got to, you know, what's up? And um, he was like, well, we're going to just put you in the car, and we're going to, I guess, something about line up or see if somebody picks us out, but that never happened. Right. You know, and then from there, we went to the precinct, and we sat in the precinct. And um, Kevin Richardson that night got apprehended, and another kid named Lamont McCall, who I, I didn't know these dudes. And so it was uh, the four of us, I think, in the room. And then... Um, it was just about, all right, well, make a phone call, call your parents, and tell them to come get you. Because originally we got disappearance tickets, mm. you know, for trespassing and, and misdemeanors. Trespassing where? In Central Park, right? <laughs> so it was mis it was a bunch of misdemeanors. Right. And um and so into the wee hours of the night, you know, parents is coming, parents is coming. And, and you're not even knowing. Nah, we just sitting there. Right. And um and what's going on through your mind? I'm sorry I'm interrupting, man, but I really want to take us in your, in your world, man. Well, you know, at that point, I'm 14 years old don't know and he's saying well you know if your parents don't come get you y'all going to spar fit you know and i'm like spar fit you know that's the jail right and he's like well that's where y'all gonna go for the night if your parents don't come get you and so it we already on ease you know what I'm saying because everybody's parents is outside except for mine and so they had to send a car to get my dad and then um he shows up um 
and then from there, like I'm just giving you brief really quick, and right. um, and then they sent us another room because I guess by this time they found the jogger, but we didn't know, right? Right, and so they said, well, we're not gonna let you go because some detectives want to talk to you, and so now we talking about the whole night we done been in the precinct, and um, you're 14 years old, 14 years old, and so they hungry, us, hungry, you know, no no drink, no food, no sleep because we've been up the whole night. And um and then I remember them taking Kevin and then he was the first person who they started to question. And then um and he was in it for a long time and we were just sitting out there waiting for him. And I know that when the, by the time I went in the room it was already daylight cuz my dad had to go to work. Right. And because they said it was a disappearance ticket, it's a misdemeanor. He just go to family court. Which is a bullshit go. charge it's anyway cuz I've never heard anybody Getting a fucking charge for 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 trespassing. Yeah, it was it was it was a bunch of bullshit right. charges, and so and so you he, didn't need, you didn't you couldn't know. Nah, nah. And he said, um, you know, my dad said, well, look, they're gonna release him, so just told my grandmother to stay with him. I'm gonna go to work and just take him home, and right. that's it. And she right. was like, all right, it's fine. So I know around that time it was six in the morning, but Kev is still in the room. You know what I'm saying? And um, and then she go. I mean, he goes to work, and I just stood there with my grandmother, and then we waited until it was our turn to go in the room. And so when we go in the room now, we're sitting there and, you know, it starts off. Well, you know, Rain, we just want to know what happened. It's the detective named Detective Arroyo. You know, you just want to know what happened. Tell us what happened. What did you see? What did you know what happened? And, and so I tell him, you know, I saw, you know, what I saw, what I didn't saw. I was hanging out with some dudes and um, I was trying to meet some girls tonight. That's basically what it was. Yeah. And, and now I'm in the precinct. Yeah. And that goes on for hours. And so, you know, it starts off. Uh, uh, everything is calm, everything's cool, and then it starts to get a little bit more aggressive as time goes on. And the I, you know the first knock at the door, this officer comes in because my grandmother didn't speak English well, right? So she couldn't even. Defend. So they had to translate, right? Right. So she can you know she can say curse words and shit in Spanish. Right, right. I mean in English, English but she yeah. can't carry a conversation. Right. So they had to translate, and so the officer comes, he knocks on the door, and he tells my grandmother, Miss Cologne, can you step outside? And when she steps out, that's when the shit starts to go down. You know, tall officer comes in. I'm sitting in the chair, and he's talking to the dudes, and he looks at me, gives me this stare, and he says, what the fuck are you looking at? Oh, and I'm shit. like, oh, shit. You know, and then he starts to walk towards me, right? And then the knock comes. He turns around, he walks away, and my grandmother comes in. But that's the first one. So now, all right, Ray, start from the top. What did you see? Who was you with? What happened? So we going through what happened to the lady? What lady? What Wait, are you talking about? Let me let me back up for a second. Mm -hmm. Did they ever read you your rights? You know, at fourteen, I, I'm I can't even. I'm I'm sure they did. I'm you know I don't want to give them benefit of the doubt. I don't know. I'm don't fourteen, know. so right. I don't know what the Miranda is. Right. You know, and I'm scared of death. You know what you want? What you want with me? And so, you know, that stuff goes on for hours, and then. The second time there's a knock at the door, same officer pulls my grandmother back out. He's talking to her outside. Now he has her outside. He's talking to her in Spanish. So he's saying, you know, we feel Raymond isn't giving us everything. You know, we need help. We want to know what happened that night. Um, and so the second time, the short hair, I mean, this uh, redhead detective comes in and they start talking. And he says, you know, this is the little prick. And they're like, yeah, he doesn't want to tell us. He's playing hardball. And he, he pulls up this chair and he starts yelling in my ear. But he's not yelling. He's like forcefully talking. You know you fucking spit, did it. Spit it spitting you up know that. Shit. You, you know you fucking did it. You stuck your dick in her, right? And at that point, the detective in front of me starts to yell. So now I'm getting it from both ends. And I'm like, holy shit, what's going on? But when that knock comes, 
they they break away like like it's the bell, right? You know, and and so the third time was the the detective himself, Arroyo. He's talking to me, and we we going over what happened that night. And he gets to the woman. So what happened to the woman? And I'm like, there was no woman. I never saw about? no woman. I never, yeah. And he says, I'm tired of this shit. He slams his hand on the tape. You're gonna, you know, you fucking bullshit. And he, he lunges at me. And at this point, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna die. I'm not gonna make it out this precinct. Right. And when he lunges at me, there's a detective in the back, right? And he jumps in and he stops him. What are you doing? Pushes him back. Get out. Get out the. Kicks him out. Kicks all them out. Right. And I'm sitting there scared to death. But at that moment, I felt like this dude saved my life. Was it? Was it Hardigan? It's Hardigan. Hardigan. So, so are they playing? They good, playing a good they cop, play, bad good, cop, and it's working. And it's working. Right. I mean, if you ever look at uh, the read technique, which is the nine steps on how to break somebody mm-hmm. down and get it and get a confession, that shit works. You got to get somebody to trust. Exactly. Right. And and once you get a person to a, a state of helplessness of of they feel like there's nothing left. You throw him a lifeline, and that's what he did. Right. So I felt like this dude saved my life. And so when he kicked everybody out, my grandma's not in the room. It's just me and him. And here it comes. He starts rolling it out on me. Dick, you know, Raymond, you a good kid. I know you ain't do this, but these dudes in other priests, and they saying you did it. I need help, man. And I'm like, Let me help I, me help you type shit. That, right? You know, and I'm like, but what the fuck? What do you want me to say? <laughs> I don't even know what happened. Right, right, right. And he says, you know, he goes and he pulls out a picture of Kevin Richardson and he puts it on the table. And he says, you know, this kid. And I said, nah, he said, this is Kevin. See that scratch on this eye? He got that from the woman. He going to jail, but I don't want you to go to jail. And he's saying you did it. You got to help me. And, you know, in business, they tell you that whoever speaks first after that silence loses. Mm. And that's what he did. He put the picture down. He sat back. And he just waited. He knows I'm formulating, how the fuck do I get out of of this this situation? And I said, you know what? Kevin did it. Kevin did what? Kevin raped the woman. I only got Kevin doing it. Right. He says, okay. And you still, they still hadn't given you any food or any water. Nothing. Nothing. So you're delirious? It's estimated that I was in that interrogation room for 15 to 30 hours as a 14 year old kid. That's torture. That's torture. Definitely. Definitely. And, you were, you, were you falling asleep? Were you hallucinating? I know, you know what? It, 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 it's not even about falling asleep. You're so afraid. That adrenaline is rushing. Right. You know, you're shaking more than anything. Right. And, um, and he says, okay, what'd he do? So I said, you know, he was struggling with the woman. He took her down. And he says, okay. And, and I said, well, Kevin, he raped her. And he says, okay, well, what about Steven Lopez? Who the fuck is Steven Lopez? I don't know. What did he do? We know he had to do something. He was there. All right, well, Steve was on the side. You know, what about Antron McCray? I don't even know who these dudes are. Right. But he's giving me these names. And he's those are fe- names. He's feeding you he's the, feeding the story. Me. And those are the names that he gives me. And so now when I put it together for him and he goes, okay, he says, but you know, Raymond, this woman lost a lot. You know, she lost a lot of blood. We don't know if she's going to live. You know, she had all these injuries around her head. Something had to be used. A rock, a brick, a pipe. He gave me options. Pick uh, multiple one. choice. You got to pick multiple one. Multiple choice. A, B, or C. And I said, a brick. And he said, who had the brick? Steven Lopez. What he did? He hit the woman in the head with it. I I never wrote nothing down. Right. He wrote all this stuff down. He wrote right. my statement down. And so then he said, okay, Raymond. He said, now, you know, where was you at? And I said, I was watching. You know, I saw it from a distance. He said, that's not good enough. 
in order for it to be believable, you have to be closer to the scene. And, and I'm you like, can't even, you don't even know how to fucking rationalize. I don't know what the scene looks like. I can't tell you what she had on, nothing. But all I know is that I got to place myself there with these dudes. To make your, to to make make your situation better. Exactly. And um, and he says, okay, so what did you do? Like, you had to, you got to be involved. And I said, well, you know what? I reached down, I grabbed a woman's breast. And he said, okay. And he wrote it down. And then he said, okay, now sign it. Now, so I signed it. Now, technically, that's the illegal statement. Right. Right? Because my parents not in the room or nothing. You're a minor. And he knows this. Right. So he says, look, I, you did good, but I got one more thing I need you to do for me. I said, what? What you want me to do? I'll do it. He says, you're going to go to another precinct. And you're gonna tell the same cop the same story you told me, and you don't videotape, and, and you're good from there. Right. You're going home. Going home. Right. You know, because that was in there a lot. You're going home. Right. I can help you go home. Right. Help me, I can help you. And so now, now it goes from a point of me just not just lying, I gotta make this shit believable. You gotta stick to it. I gotta stick to it. You so gotta now, make it better. I gotta make it better. So now, my statement was originally two and a half pages long. When I get to the, the next detective, it jumps to five pages. See what I'm saying? Before you get to the video, because I'm trying to stick to the script. I don't know the facts. I'm just going by what he gives me. And so now you just expand that story, the full story. And so, you know, when my dad, now he comes back, you know, because he gets home from work. He's got to work. He gets home from work and he's like, yo, he's not here yet. So he goes to the precinct looking for me. I'm not there. I'm at another precinct. He comes to that precinct. And then they find me. They say, all right, you can come on in and sit with your son. And so now I'm doing the second statement and my dad is hearing that shit. And he's like, For the first time. He's like, what the fuck? And now he's like, yo, you serious? And your father's an immigrant. No, no, he, well, he was born, born in Puerto Rico. Born, born in Puerto Rico. He, he was over here. So he's not really knowing no, the system. No, he's not really knowing the system. Right. Never been in trouble, none of that either. So, but in his mind, he's like, what the fuck? That shit, that really happened? And I'm like, Yo, chill, pop. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to get out like, of this. Don't fuck this up. Don't I'm fuck to, this right, up. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? And, but how and, are you feeling with your pops there? Though? Are you feeling like you like? Let me let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Um, as a kid, I thought I was a good kid, right? But when I was around authority, you know what I'm saying? For some, for some, for no reason, sometimes I would get, just feel guilty. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? For nothing that I did. I, did, I was talking about my personal experience. You ever go through that? Mm-hmm. But did were you feeling guilty? Never. Okay. Never. I always knew that. I didn't do this shit. I right. had nothing to do with it. Right, right. I knew I was lying. I was lying to get myself out of some shit. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I always felt it ain't my job to clean this shit up. When y'all find out I'm lying, I just want to be home. You believed in the system. Yeah. And I believe that they're going to come back and say, this motherfucker lying. Don't right. question him again. Right. But that's not my problem. That's your problem. That's your problem. You know what I'm saying? You're going you're to get on your job and, and you're exactly. going to realize I'm not the dude. You're going to realize I'm right. not the dude. And then you're going to say, wait a minute, this you told us some bullshit. What's right. going on? Right, right. And then I'll tell you, yeah, they, you know, he did me dirty. When um, you were telling some of the story, did your pops and your pops was, you know, you were saying chill pops and trying to get out. Did he overtake, like, over, overtake he, the conversation? He was. But what happened was uh, Mike Sheen, who you seen on Fox 5 and Channel 11, um, he was one taking the statement. Mm-hmm. And so Mike Sheen shut my father down. What did he say? You know, what did he like, do? He said, you know, listen, we can make shit very hard for you. You're Damn. a hardworking man. Just, you know, and it, he was very forceful at my pops. You know what I'm saying? And so my pops kind of backed down, you know. Um, and so now it was really, you know, and I didn't really say that because it's like, chill, pop. Right, right. But now he did it for me. So I'm like, all right, kept right. going with the story. And then um, and then after that, we did the videotape statement, which is the reason why my father's sitting in the videotape. 
you know, while he's sitting, he's on the tape. Um, you know, I, looking at the videotape, mm-hmm. um, what I do appreciate, man, is you look like you was really angry now. Like the way you were saying, like, like when they when they were asking you what you did, and you was like, I, I felt on her tits. Mm-hmm. Like you had a, you had an attitude at that yeah. point, right? Yeah, you're like fuck you, but I can't say fuck y'all. Is the way because I'm, I'm a, trying to go home, right? So I'm gonna just sit here and just lie to you and right. fuck it. It ain't my job to figure it out. It's yours, right? You know, um, because early my father was always the type that he would say, you know what? If somebody says something to you, you don't gotta you don't gotta be quiet. Right. You can say something back. Right. You ain't gotta be disrespectful, but you can speak your mind. Right. And and so. At that point, that was that point of me trying to be bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I got it, Pop. Right. You know, not knowing that I'm getting the good cop, bad cop. <laughs> getting railroaded. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely. And then um, and then from there, you know, we stood in the precinct for another night or two. And then I remember seeing Yusuf and Corey, but I didn't know them at the time. That's the first time seeing That's them. That's the first time seeing them. And then um, they put us all in the bullpen together, and then we got shipped to the booking. Right. You know, and... um. And then that's where the story came out where they said we were down there singing Wild Thing, which was a lie. That never happened. Somebody made that, that story yeah, up. Yeah, there was some of the dudes that was in the bullpen next to us was singing Self Destruction. Okay. They wasn't singing Wild Thing. Right. Tone Loke was from LA. Right, yeah. We were, I, yeah. yeah. That don't even make no, sense. No. Exactly. That don't even make sense. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and so that's how the whole Wild Thing, Wild Thing, that played in also. Okay. But know. so at what point, man, were you assigned an attorney? During arraignment. During arraignment. Got to arraignment. Um, public, public defender? Yeah, public defender. He said, you know, don't look, don't say nothing. Bail was set at like 250000 Right. Like the other families were able to make bail. You were the only one that wasn't able to make bail, right? Yeah, because um, what happened was that um, it was a lot of politics involved. You know, Sharpton was stepping in and he was trying to help people get bailed out. And, um, and so, you know, they went to, you know, I'm not going to say it was him, but Somebody went to my dad and was like, "Look, raise up some money. We'll put the rest. We'll bail them out." And my father wound up putting up fifteen thousand. Right. My bail was twenty five. Nobody put up the ten, and so I got left. Me and Corey were the ones who got left behind. Right, right. Everybody else got bailed out through different. You know, some people got Al Sharpton to get them, and you know, you heard about the the priest who bailed out Kevin and and stuff like that. So you know, in your young mind, man, because um, we're all really naive when we're coming up particularly when we have parent, parents that don't really know mm-hmm. the deal about the system. Do you even think that some racial shit is going on? Oh, with this case? Yeah. 100%. You knew at that, at that like, point? At that, you know, early on, it, a lot of it went over my head. And then as I got older and I started to really look back, you know. But yeah, at that point when you're younger, you don't, you don't know. You, you don't know. You don't know, you know. Um, but when you get older and you start to really look at the system and analyze it, and, and the pattern, yeah, the pattern, you the know, the terminology, pattern of what this country has done exactly. from day one. Exactly, the terminology of the super predator. You know, the super predator was put out there to instill fear in the people. Like now, you got black and Hispanic kids coming to white neighborhoods to commit crime. They come into Central Park. This shit is holy. They shouldn't even be here. Right. And so, that made them toughen up the laws. Forty-one states changed their juvenile laws behind us. We were charged as adults. You know, which gave us our first strike. Right. You know, but we were sentenced as juveniles, right. and that was due to the super predator. Now, now your lawyer, your lawyer, like how competent was your lawyer? Man? You know, he, you know, he was a he. He came on to do my father's divorce stuff, right? And so, uh, you know, my father uh, knew him through a mutual friend. This is after your no. This, this is this is during. Okay. This is during, right? So, what happened to the public defender? No, we we dumped him. Okay. 
Um, and then we got because there was no fight in him. There was no fight in him. Right. I don't even remember the dude. You know, what I'm saying who he was, and so we wound up getting this uh, private attorney who was doing my father's divorce papers, and then um, he signed on to do this case. And my father gave him like ten thousand dollars. Right, he put that under the table. Yeah, he never pops heard is from giving that. all his savings out. Yeah, you right. never heard from that. He took that, and that was it. He bounced. No, no, he took it, right. and but he never said like, "Oh, he paid me ten grand." You know, it was done on the table, so it's like I'm doing it for free. Right. You know, um, and so all together, my father gave him eleven thousand, and um, but you know, there was really nothing in him. Did you tell him what happened? Yeah, yeah, I told, him, told what, him. I told him what happened. I told him how they did me dirty and explained it to him, and you know, for him. I think it was more of a, I get my name out there, you know, I can expand my business, you know, as a lawyer, clientele will be coming in because I'm working this big case. And that's how things went for a long time. And I, it wasn't, like I said in the film, there's a point where he sits at the table and he's like, yo, the innocent. Like he had the light bulb. Like the light bulb some, went up. Right. But it was too late. It was like, too late. You know, I mean, before that took place like there was times where we seen him talking with the DA and the judge and they just chopping it up and I'm sitting there saying this motherfuckers will be fired for my life right you ain't supposed to be over there with the enemy yeah and I said oh this is over now they send you to Spofford yeah I was there for about 17 months yo how was mm -hmm. like, tell us your first night there man first night we walk in there we sit in the intake and it's all of us and um and so uh, uh this uh this counselor comes down by the name of Washington Later on, I'm, I get to know him. He's a cool dude. Right. And he's like, yo, y'all dudes is all over the papers, man. And you're not even knowing. We're not even knowing. We're right. going through the booking. And he's like, yo, the whole jail want to get you. we like, what? He's like, yo, the whole jail want to get y'all. And we had to go into the shower areas. You know, he got stripped naked. We in the shower. I remember it's me, Yusuf, and somebody else, maybe Antron. And dudes is banging on the glass like, let me see your ass. Right, right. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, this this is about to get thick. And at that point, you got to make a decision, man. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I said, uh-uh. I'm leaving out of here the way I came in. Right. You know what I'm saying? And 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 there was incidents. You know, there was incidents. I remember going to the mess hall first day, walking that motherfucker, and Cass is looking like, yo, that's him right there. God, we going to see you. And And I had, you know, I got to do what I got to do. You know what I'm saying? And, and at that time, there was a lot of razor tag going on, too, yeah, you know, yeah. in, in Spofford. I mean, yeah. you, you had to make sure that you were, you know, you weren't going to get sliced. And it's funny because it's like when any high-profile case comes into a jail, and I'm sure you have seen that maybe, you know, spending your time there, they always, always go crazy to jail. And, and people want to just get at people, or yeah. for, you know, for that. They want to make their name off of you. So tell us about this incident, like the first incident. And man. so these dudes, you know, I'm sitting at the table and I had my back towards him, and the dude's like, yo, tap him. And so when I turn, it's like it's like five of them. They're like, yo, we going to see you. And I'm like, this is it. This is in the mess hall. Right. Either you do some or you got that label. Mm -hmm. And so I stood up, and I said, you ain't going to do shit. Fuck you. And they all stood up, and I grabbed the milk, and I threw it at them, right? And then the counselors grabbed me, and they rushed me out. But that one incident, it, it, it let them know. like You had some fight in you. Yeah, right. like don't get it twisted. Right. And then after that, it was on. You know what I'm saying? And and constantly, constantly, because you know it was two sides to, to Sparfit, and there was the dark blue shirts, and there were the light blue. And when you go down to that visit, after that visit, and all them people leave, it pops. And I'm talking, we talking about 14, 15 year old kids in the 80s, in the 80s, when every motherfucker was bad. Yeah, and motherfuckers is getting jumped, motherfuckers is getting 
I mean, motherfuckers would go in your room at night while you sleep and flip the whole bed on you, you know, and that's how it was. And you had to get with the program. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so I knew a couple of dudes that was there when I got in and that was it. You like know? y'all clicked up. Like, yeah, like they yeah. Had, I had, you know, right. like, you know, and, 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 and the bad thing about it was that because it was so many of us that went in, they split us up. Uh. So they put one person on each dorm. And so now you on the dorm with 20 motherfuckers or 25 and they looking to jump you. Some people got jumped. Some people fought. You know what I'm saying? What was what was the worst situation that happened to you, man? Like in terms of like the violence and all of that, man. You know, the the worst I probably had, and this was years later, I got into a fight. You know, three stitches, but I was a little dude and I'll be quick to drop you. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, once I drop one kid, it kind of goes on like, nah, he a fighter. Right. And and you it weeds out a lot of people. It weeds out a lot of people. And then how you carry yourself is another thing. So I didn't really have too much problems after Sparfit. You know what's crazy, man? Um, how they did Corey, man. Yeah. Like he was 16 years old. Yeah, him and, and Michael Briscoe. And they, they they sent him to Rikers. Yeah, they sent him to Rikers. And what happened was that... And he was, first, a, he, was, he was a little... No, he kid. was a little dude. Him and Michael Briscoe. And Michael Briscoe was a small cat, too. He was right. a skinny dude. And they sent them to Rikers Island. And the first night, they got jumped by 25 inmates. You know what I'm saying? And they was in there, they was in there fighting. Right. You know, and the police knew that. Police walked out, let it go down. Yeah. Um, and then Corey, you know, after that, Mike wound up getting out and Corey stood in and then they moved into a Bing house. You know, it was like segregation. Um, but you know, he you know, he had a lot of fights. Yeah. You know, with cats was trying to make a name off of him. You know, I stabbed one of the dudes from C P five. Yeah. You know? That's crazy. Now, Pete, we were talking before the show, man, and mm-hmm. you were saying that, you know, your what was worse? Like the juvenile Spofford? Or Rikers, like I said before, with Spoffitt's razor tag, man, yeah. and 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 because like if you go to Rikers and then you get convicted and when you have to leave, you have to go to the four building at, yeah. at the time. I don't know if you you, you witnessed that, uh, but I had to go to the four building, so you had to be around the adolescents to be discharged to go upstate. You know, I mean, but dealing with them, I mean, like I said, it it, it was a survival of the fittest. Like yeah. you had, to, like I can only imagine because like I had lived part of my life. Here you are. As a, a a young kid surviving at that age, yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. So so you're in, you're, you're locked throughout the whole situation. You don't yeah. ever see outside, yeah. Like like throughout the whole trial and everything, yeah. But like, are you reading the papers now? Yeah, are you starting to see because at like that time, a mob by the time out there, yeah. By the time we get to trial, my perception in jail was different. Right, people are saying, "Wait a minute, this dude don't got characteristics of a rapist." Right, you know what I'm saying? And so, counselors start to get to know you. Inmates get to know you. I want to become one of the longest dudes or the longest dude in the jail. Right. And so everything changes. Status changes. And so I was getting the paper every day. You know, I was able to make phone calls every day. Um, but are you are you bugging out at that, that at the shit that's in the paper? I mean, people were pushing for the death penalty. Yeah. Like yeah. Trump. Yeah. Donald Trump yeah. put money down yeah. to get the death penalty yeah. on y'all. We talking about over 400 articles that were written within the first two weeks of this case about right. us dissecting our lives and saying that yo these kids is bad look where they come from they come from harlem you know uh uh and and i mean they dug so deep into our history as a 14 year like how deep can you get what history do you what have? history do you have right but they was writing these articles and and then you know it was the tabloid war so they was fighting for the most outrageous headlines and so you know uh you know she was fun or wolfpack wilding and that's what all that stuff came about 
you know. But uh, uh, and Pat Buchanan was talking about they yeah. should be lynched. Yeah, that yeah, <laughs> we should be lynched, and the oldest, you know, should be bull whipped, and we should all be hung. And yeah, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, to you know, to sit there and see talk shows. You had Donahue and all them mm. dudes back then, and people were sitting in those talk shows, and they're like, you know, they should be castrated. I remember, you know, uh, uh, what's uh, the girl from the Guardian Angels. Oh, uh, um, uh, who, who's Lynn, on Street Soldiers yeah, now? Yeah, Lisa, um, Lisa Evans. Lisa Evans. Lisa yeah. Evans comes to Spofford and she does this. This. This, this is when she was to married to, to. When she was married to right. this sucker dude, right? right? Curtis. And, yeah. Was and, Curtis talking that shit too? Yeah, they was both talking that shit. Yeah. But she was going all out. She's in the film. If you see the night, the nights that we get convicted, and let her walk I, out. I, I, she's I, the one clapping. Yeah. And so that's crazy. She comes to Spofford and and she does this seminar, talk to the kids. And she just starts going in on us about our case. And she don't even know I'm sitting in the crowd. And the counsel's like, yo, get him out. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's how hard she was going. Let me ask you, man. Have you have you have you been on her show? I haven't been on the show, but I seen her. We right. we went up the we went up there one time to do an uh, open line, and she was there. And she came out, hey, you know, you guys, you know, because she's also in the film where she talks about the exoneration. And and Sarah Burns says, you know, you're in our film. And she goes, Really? When? And she goes, when the guys got convicted and let her walks out, you're sitting there clapping. And she goes, oh, shit. <laughs> and we all standing there like, yeah. okay, any day now. Right, right. And, and that was it. Lisa was gone after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You That's know. crazy. So you're never getting an invitation for street nah, soldiers. No street soldiers <laughs> for him. No, no street, street soldiers. soldiers. But, but unless but it comes with apology. But you even spoke about like uh, um, having status and getting the paper and people believing in you in, 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 the, in the jail. But what about, because I, I, we were speaking about this beforehand, but- you know, the officers, like, they always look at people from their file. Like, you know, it's kind of like the media, like, mm -hmm. oh, what's going, like, what your charges. Yeah. So I know, like, I, like, I mean, I remember them telling me, like, I was only in there for possession and intent. And they would tell me, listen, motherfucker, like, you know, get the fuck over here. Or talking crazy to me, like, punching me in the stomach. Or, yeah. Like, so I can imagine them, you know, here you are, you know, not guilty. And, and they could, you know, consider you to be a rapist and somebody yeah. that hurt somebody. Yeah. How'd they treat you in there? You know, in the beginning... That's how everybody looks at you, right? But there's also these counselors because they're black and Latinos who say, wait a minute, these are our kids. They don't do this. And so, you know, when you come in, they see how you move. And then once you confirm it, they go, yeah, see, these, these boys, these ain't rapists. These ain't these wolf pack dudes. And they start to treat you different. Now, when you go upstate, because I wound up going to Goshen Secure Center, and now you're dealing with the rednecks, you mm -hmm. know, who's mm -hmm. up there. And... And and that and they have no compassion. And they have no compassion. And they're sitting there like, you know, you know how we're here to help you. And they're like, how you here to help me? And they're like, we're here to help you to stop running to Central Park raping women. And you go, what the fuck? I didn't do that shit. Right. And but even that, you know, took time. You know, I was there for five years. Right. And and into like maybe like my fourth year, a senior counselor pulled me in the office and said, Yo, you ain't do this crime. And I said, Well, how you know? And he said. You don't got the characteristics of a rapist. Right. Like, we've been doing this a long time. That's not they could, you. They could smell that shit. They could smell that shit. You, you know, um, but I would imagine prison culture, everybody's saying they're innocent. Yeah. So so how are they, you know what I'm saying? Everybody's innocent. Yeah. That's, that's funny. Right? Prison culture. <laughs> but uh, pardon me for sounding like, no, like, no, like, I, a, I know, like a prison I know. square. You know what I'm saying? I, or, but, but am I right? Everybody's saying that they're innocent. Well, a lot innocent. of people do. But you know what happens is that you know, in our case, that stuff is in the paper. Right. And so, you know, you have the pros and cons in this case. What's the pro? Well, well, the only thing they have is these statements. Well, what about DNA evidence? There's none of that. 
DNA evidence. There's no DNA right. evidence. I mean, this was a case where they took our handprints, our footprints. They took all of our clothes. They took hair samples, they blood, blood samples. They took everything. And this is a rape case. This is a rape case. And this is a bloody crime scene, right? right? And so they go. No blood, nothing. Nothing. And, th- and then they go. They send it to the feds, to federal, because the, they, they, had, they had the DNA testing then. And everything comes back, you know, with no match. And so there's a book that's out called The Blood That Cried by a guy named Harold Levy. And it's one of the first books on DNA. And he was working in the DA's office back then. And he gets the call from the prosecutor. She says, come up to my office. And he goes up there. He says, what happened? She says, the evidence came back. There's nothing to match to these boys. I feel like I've been kicked in my stomach. Something is wrong. Right. right? And so instead of her saying, okay, let's entertain alternative theory, because they already was looking for Mateus Reyes. He was known as the East Side Slasher, mm-hmm. the East Side Rapist. He committed a rape two days before in Central Park. So they was looking for him already. And so instead of her saying, all right, let's entertain something else or go talk to these boys again. She said, you know what? How do I get a conviction? How do we how do we tailor this to make it work? And that's what they did. Right. And so they sat there and they tailored that shit. And that's how we was able to get convicted. When, when, you're, when you're doing your time, man, how angry are you, man? You know... It, it, you know, at the time, because I'm so young, it comes and it goes, you know. Um, but as time moves on, you start to heal a little bit and you say, you know what? I got to make the best of it. Right. And so that's why I wound up getting my GED and going to the college program. I became the longest person in the jail again. Right. Um, um, I became the model prisoner. You know, they started bringing the kids in. I would talk to the kids. Um, I became the liaison between the inmates and the staff. You know, I had the highest level in Goshen Secure at that right, time. Right, right, right. You know, and so there was a lot of respect for me, and I had my college degree. Is mm. it crazy that they really cut the funding for college degrees now for yeah. education in, in yeah. prisons? Well, you know, um, I was I had my associate's degree because that's all they gave out, and before Pataki came in, you know, that's one of the things that he ran on. That you know, you know, if you want to get a free education, to send your kid to prison, right. and he took that. And, you know, I mean, you had a lot of dudes in prison that was getting massive degrees, mm-hmm. you know, more than one, you know. And so when Pataki came in office, it was about forget rehabilitation. It's about punishment. Right. Take that shit away. So you're lucky, man. Pataki's yeah. a piece of shit. You're lucky, man. <laughs> so so you do your time. Mm-hmm. You do seven years. I do seven years. You come out. Mm-hmm. Um, how you feeling? Are you, are you, are you, you said it comes in waves, but are you still angry because you did time? Yeah, unjustly. But I'm, but in the sense, I'm kind of happy because I'm like, I get a fresh start. Right. I get to come out and put, try to put my life back together. And then, but I didn't know that, you know, I had to register as a sex offender. I had a seven o'clock curfew. People looked at you different. You know, I couldn't get a job. It was in the papers that you, when y'all came home. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was in the papers. I remember when Steven Lopez came home for me. They they put it out there, and so. You know, now came all these obstacles that I didn't even know was going to occur. Right, right. You know, where it's like I start filling out these applications and they're like, have you ever been convicted of a crime? And you go, shit. Do I lie or do, do I, I lie? Yeah. And then you say, ah, right, yeah. And they say, what was it? Rape. You ain't getting no job. Ah. Mm-hmm. You ain't getting no job. And then. How many? How, how many? A lot. A lot. A lot of applications. Right. And even if that one person said, ah, right, you know what? I'm going to overlook that. What happened? And you go Central Park Jaga? No, over. yeah. See you later. Yeah, there is no job. You like and, Jack the Ripper. You like 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 Son of Sam. Yeah, I mean, we were considered the worst human beings on the planet right. Earth right. in 1989. You know, just due to all the media coverage, 
you know, and so. Uh, uh, so you're back home in 06, I mean in 96. Uh, 05. 05. The ending, I mean, like 90, December 90, of 95. 95. I'm back. How, how had the world changed? Man? It was totally, like, it was so bad. Like, parole was on 40th Street, right? We're talking uh, 8th Avenue. And I was on the east side, so I would take the train, 6th train, down to 42nd Street and walk that shit because I never knew there was a shuttle. Right. You know what I'm saying? And we're talking about snow, sleet, hail. Right, right, right. And my dumb ass is walking across the dudes. <laughs> And until so I got a map, and right. I'm like, "There's a shuttle, yeah, yeah, yeah. shit," you know, and that's how it was. How how had the neighborhood changed, man? The neighborhood was totally different, you know. That seven years, them kids were like this now. They were older. Um, a lot of people were gone. It was totally different, you know. It wasn't it wasn't changing as far as uh, 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 with the different cultures yet, you know. But crack era was slowing down. Yeah. You know, there wasn't that much people out there. It was still those those lingering effects from it. Um, but it was rough. Yeah. And you talk about how your situation changed you. <clears throat> like how you, you know, wanted to stay in like small rooms. Yeah. Oh, you definitely. Know? Yeah. Like that's all the effects that from that come from prison that I was feeling comfortable. I would sit in my room because it was the size of a cell. Right. And I would close the door and it wasn't until my father said, yo, why you always stay in your room? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you always in your room. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, and I would go in the shower with my boxes on and I would wash them in the shower and hang them shits up. Right. And, and then I had this pent-up aggression. You know, if I'm in a room with a crowd, a bunch of people, I watch everything moving, and I put my back against the wall like right. he is. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and and, and I, I, I scan the whole room. I see what's going on. That peripheral. That's right. I'm always on point. Were you going out, like, to clubs now? Or nah, none of that. You, you, there was none of that. Never. Like, there was none of There was no clubs, none of that. I mean... My boys and they took me out the first time, yo. But after that, it was done. I had you, a seven you, o'clock curfew. Yeah, but you didn't like it either, right? Nah, the, you didn't like I, the to this day. I don't even do clubs. Right. He'll tell you, I don't do clubs. Like that's not my thing. Right. You know? But you know, you know what's even more crazy? It's like you grew, you literally grew up in jail. Yeah. You know, so like coming home, what was some? I mean, what were you excited for? Like meaning, like even like meals, like because you know, I, I mean, you know, think about it, like. You, Fourteen. I mean, how much really did you consume in, in learning about food when yeah. before you went away? Everything started over. Yeah, everything started over. You know, and, and you know, I had McDonald's across the street. Okay, I was loving them. Yeah, because it was quick. Right. You know, what I'm saying I catch somebody. What were you going McDonald's? Yo, give me a Big Mac. All right, bring it back. Yeah. You know, especially you know summertime, it don't it don't get dark to what you know what I'm saying. Eight o'clock, nine o'clock. I'm in the house at seven, yeah. looking out the window like this is some bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and. That's when those obstacles, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what, what to do. And that's when I started to stumble, right. you know, because there was no transitional program. You had no money. No money. No money. There so was, you couldn't, you, were, you, you, were you buying comic books? Nah. Couldn't, that at, was just that done. Time, gone. That was gone. Gone. And, and, but, you know, it would resurface. Right. Like I say, let's say I'm by the store. Oh, should I used to read that? I'll right. pick one or two up. But overall, I couldn't get back to that. I lost the drive for, for Couldn't for get into drawing. video games yeah, or none of that. Right. Uh, you know, that didn't happen till later on. Okay. You know, but that drive was gone. But he didn't even grow up like that. that you know yeah. what I mean? You, he, yeah. you, you grew up with day rooms and mess halls and, yeah. you know. What, what, what do you think about the, what do you think about the music right now? Like at that time, like in, 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 in 96. Because um, the music had changed. Yeah, had it had totally, changed. It you had you changed. were heavily into music, yeah. and that whole scene had changed. But, you know, I was able to stay abreast when I was in prison. Okay. You know, you could order the tapes, and, right, right. and I, I came home with boxes of them shits. What were you, what were you listening to, man? Still, still EPMD. Right, Remember, right. They, they, they in the like third or fourth album. Right, 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 right. Red Man was here now, mm -hmm. and, and, and Daz Effects, right. and Ice Cube, and NWA. And, and so 
gangstar, I was still I was still keeping on. Right, right. You know, I was just buying those tapes and I was listening to them. Red Man became my Big Daddy Kane. Back okay, then. okay. What'd you, you know? think of Big Man when when Nah Big was forget it. That, that <laughs> he was phenomenal. Cause cause you you were still in. Yeah. When Big came out. Yeah. When, when, when Ready to Die come out. Yeah. But that that album was crazy. Yeah. That album was crazy. That that's you know that's that's my classic. Like even that story. Like when I watch that story, I can't watch the ending. You know what I'm saying? Because even with Pac, we was robbed. Somebody took these dudes from us. And there was so much that they still had to give us. Right. And so when I see movies like that of of injustice, my, my of injustice our people, of our people with the justice system, exactly. Right. And we losing them. I can't watch the ending. I can't watch the ending of Malcolm X. Not even Selena. Yeah. I can't watch that shit because it's just, too close to home. Yeah. 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 These people are taken from us, and they had so much more to give. Yeah. And now we will never. We left with the work that they left. You know what's crazy, man? Um, how the same time that incident happened, Central Park uh, rape happened, there was a woman in Brooklyn that got raped in Bed-Stuy, a black woman, mm-hmm. right? And she got thrown off a roof. roof. And they didn't make nothing about that. Yeah, there was also an incident in New Jersey where they had these five kids that they um they sexually assaulted. Uh, uh, I think she was mentally retarded in the basement. And even that didn't get nowhere near the press that we got. Right. And... I remember because being, the, because the victim fit yeah. the profile of being somebody that America could get behind. Yeah, and they did. I mean, they got behind. You know, Frank Sinatra sent this woman flowers, and 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 you know, she got all these letters, and and she became friends with the prosecutors and a lot of the police officers. What were your thoughts about her? You know, because they said that she lost the memory, so there was nothing really against her. You know, Antron used to always you know he's always say, "I wish she can remember Ray." I, you know. I wish one day she'd just wake up and her memory's back and she could say, yo, they ain't do it. Right. And I used to tell him, shut up, man. I'm tired of listening to your ass saying this <laughs> shit. But he would always say it, always, always. And so there was never nothing against her. But as I got older, I started to realize that she got victimized twice. Right. Mateus Reyes, you know, committed this, this, this act towards her. But then these prosecutors and police that became her friends, they lied to this woman for all these years. Mm. These dudes is guilty. They did it. They did it. And then Reyes comes back. You know, they tested DNA. It matches. Now she's like, okay, Reyes did it, but he wasn't with them. Right. They still guilty. And this is what they still tell her to this day. That's crazy. Have you ever met her? I ha- we haven't met her. But we always say that if she ever wants to talk to us, the door's open. Because right. we know that she has questions. Right. You know, she was and on. And you guys are linked for, yeah. like, for the rest of your life. For the rest of our life. Right. And so if she ever wants, if there's any questions that she needs to be answered, she can reach out. We don't have a problem telling her. You, you know, know, another big, uh, I want to go to a break, man, but another big injustice that, that the justice system did, man, was was by putting all of that shit on y'all, they allowed Mateus yeah. to prep, you know, to, to, to commit more crime. Yeah. There, there's a report done by the DA's office called the Nancy Ryan Report. If you ever get your hands on it, it talks about how when they finally talk to this dude and they test the DNA, they come back and it matches, and they still, the police are still like, nah, he's not credible, right? And he goes on and says, I'm going to show you how real I am. He saw he solves four unsolved cases for them. And they go back and they research those cases, and they're like, holy shit, this dude is the real deal. Right. You know, and police to this day still say he's not credible. We sat in a deposition with Ray, Ray, Ray Kelly, and Ray Kelly said, Mateus Reyes' crimes, he's credible. 
when it comes to CP5, he's not. You know, um, that's evil, man. Yeah. And, 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 and watching the documentary, it, it, it says that a lot of people, pardon me, made their, their careers yeah. off of that case. Yeah. So these people could not have the humility to, to apologize yeah. or, or take it back because they, they, they became big. Yeah, behind yeah. this case. Yeah, Linda Festing went on to write several fictional novels. Right. Um, what, do, what do you think about her, man? You know, she, I sat in her deposition, and I'm gonna tell you, you know, this woman sat there and literally passed the hot potato. Right. It wasn't me. I didn't do anything. All I did was answer phones and send out some emails. It was all letterer. You need to talk to her. I had nothing to do with this case. And she sat there all during the exoneration and said, we're still guilty. Oh, don't worry. When this case goes to trial, a lot of stuff is going to come out that you're going to see that we're right. But she got in that deposition and she folded. She folded. And, you know, and 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 those those are documents that are sealed. Right. You know, there's over 94,000 documents in this case that are sealed. And that's not against us. That's for them. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And and that's one of the big controversies that's going on right now. Yeah. With the Blasio like release these 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 documents to yeah. see really what's going on. Yeah. And and, and I mean it, it's it's stuff in there that I didn't even know existed. Like what? You know, there was there was a an email exchange between Ray Kelly and Robin Morgenthorff, right? And so Ray Kelly's asking Morgenthorff, let us talk to Reyes. Let us inter- in, interview Reyes and this is all in the email, and Morgenthorff email says no, right? The reason why I won't let you, because since the beginning, you guys have been trying to find a way to link these kids to this dude, right? There's a lot of stuff that's being me- leaked to the media. That's not coming from my office. That's your office. You guys are dirty. I don't trust you. He's telling them this. No, we will not give you no access to nobody. We don't even want to work with you. And that's in the email between these two figureheads, you know, Ray Kelly, you know, he comes in and he says, let me assign some officers to help you with the reinvestigation, right? Hmm. And, and Morgan says, sure, <laughs> send them in. You know, right. we can use all the help we can get. It's this, and when, we, when we get the sheet, it's about 20 names on it, 21 names. About 16 of those dudes is from the Homicide North Detective Squad, the same squad that locked us up in the first place. This, this deck is being fixed. That's crazy. This fight is being fixed, you know. And then there's one dude who's who's uh, who's who's uh, uh, he's reported to Ray Kelly directly, and we get a hold of his book, right? And we they Xerox some sheets, and he has three points on there, and one of them is connect us to Reyes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so that's what Morgenthorff is talking about. Right. I can't trust y'all, right. man. I'm trying to do the right thing, and y'all dudes is trying to sabotage this investigation. And he tells him no. And I said, yo, uh, you know, after that deposition, I told my, where you get that information from? He said, district attorney's office. It's all in the boxes. That's crazy. <laughs> when you file on a federal level, you know, when you file on a state level, they can pick and choose on what they want to give right. you. But when you file on a federal level, they say go in there and get everything. Everything, yeah. Listen, let's go to a break. Okay. Internet, you tuned into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com, F your radio, F your TV show, and F your podcast. Yeah, be right back. Internets, once again, this portion of the show is brought to you by Bevel, the first and only shaving system designed specifically for coarse, curly, and sensitive skin. You've heard me tell you why I fucks with Bevel so heavy. It's clinically proven by an African-American dermatologist 
to reduce and prevent razor bumps. It's designed from the ground up to give a smooth, bump-free shave. Another reason we fucks with Bevel so much is because is because of the homie Tristan Walker, a very sharp 30-year-old entrepreneur who peeped the game, saw the hole in the African-American market, and made moves to fill it. Namely, Tristan saw that there isn't a, cl- a first-class grooming product experience for minorities. He put this shit together, man. It's so luxurious. I, I love it, man. Please, you know, Christmas season is coming up. Holiday season is coming up. Go out there. Go to getbevel.com, G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L.com. Punch in your promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, for 20% off your first month of supplies at getbevel.com. That's getbevel.com. Stop shaving like a little kid and start shaving like a king. Internets, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the combatjackshow.com. And right now we're sitting with Mr. Santana Raymond at the Central Park Five, man, who's giving us this fascinating story, man, which, which I really appreciate, man. You know, so you're out, man. You 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 fit, you did your time, and and the cards are stacked against you. I'm saying you you're trying to knock on doors, you're trying to get jobs. I'm saying you you're living at your parents' house, and you you're not contributing, you know, to the household. Yeah. What snaps? You know, um, I had this. Uh, um, you know, it just it just got so rough for me. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. Um, and you know, when you look back on it, you say, well, you know what? You always have a choice. Right. But at that moment, I felt I didn't have no choice. And because I come from the crack era, and I still see some cats out there getting a little bit of money, you know, I said, well, you know what? I, I reach a point that I hit rock bottom. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care no more. You know, I'm not going to get a second chance, that I, the one that I deserve. And if I die today, I'm going to my grave as... Raymond Santana, Central Park rapist. So I ain't care no more. And I said, you know what? I'm going to just hustle. And I got 50 grams. And I bagged it up. And I started going out there doing what I had to do. And, you know, and then it started to build from there. And I was like, I start to, I start to get some type of relief, financial relief now, right? Um, because I'm still under parole and all that. But I'm not caring no right, more. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? If I go to jail, I go to jail. It is what it is. I ain't hit nobody over the head, though. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm not doing that. So I picked what I figured was the least, you know, the lesser of the two evils. And it felt comfortable that you didn't have to go to no background check or, you know, I'm not, I'm not justifying selling drugs, internets, but, but, but when, you, you, you know, you didn't have to fill out no application. Exactly. And, you know, and, well, hold on. I got a stupid question. I got a stupid question. I'm, I, might, I might be embarrassing myself. But everything I read has your name as Santana Raymond. Is it Santana Raymond or Raymond Santana? It's Raymond Santana. It's Raymond Santana. But I use Santana Raymond. Okay, I see. Okay, so yeah. I'm not fucking, because when you said nah, Raymond, I was like, am I fucking up? Nah, it's fine, nah. though. Anyway, so you're in this life right now, man. Yeah. What kind of cat are you in this game? I, you know, I, I'm that cat that I'm like, I got to get this money. Right. And what happens is that that's a whole nother monster, right? And it starts to consume you, because now you start to think like a street cat, a thug, and, you know, there's a gun involved, and it's like, if somebody get in my way, it's, it's, it's out. It's on. And, and then you got that whole chip on your shoulder. I got anyway. it. Right. I got it. Because I feel like there's nothing to lose. Right. If I die right now, they'll have a headline, CP5, he, you know, Raymond Santana got killed. Right. And I didn't care. Right. You know, they wasn't about having no kids. I didn't want to have no kids. I didn't want to bring nobody into this world, you know, being under that Damn. that banner, that right. life. Um, But- 
it's crazy because my house gets raided, right? And um, by my PO, and they find it. And, and, and I, why why they raid you after shit? Anonymous tip, right? God it says Ray out in the street getting money, and so the PO comes to the house, and you know by law they can search your room, and the one thing that saved me was that like almost all this stuff was gone, right? Right. And so all they found, you know, they find like 5,000 cash and they find some bags. But that's enough for me to get the drug charge. Right. You know, but if they would have came a little earlier, that would have been, a, you know, that would have been an A2. Like, you know, I could have got life behind it. Right. Um, and so that was one of the things I was grateful for. You know, for those who who, who are uh, uh, spiritual, you know, there was somebody upstairs that was looking out for me on that one. Right. You know, and so. <laughs> yeah. And so. I know you were sweating too. No, I was uh, for real because there was a point that there was a couple of nines in the crib. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot that if they would have caught me, oh shit, we got them. We got them. And so, and even what they found, they made a big issue. Right. But when it come back from the lab, it's really nothing. Nothing, right. You know what I'm saying? And so, but I knew I was guilty of that. Right. So it wasn't about me fighting the case. It was about give me the best cop out that I can get. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But let me, let me backtrack a second, yeah. man. You know, we talked about when you was a kid. And you was fly. Now, how how flies your shit now that you're getting money, man? Like, uh, well, what, at that point, at that point, no. I mean, you know, there was a Cuban link chain. Uh, you know, there you was shining at that time. There was, you know, the high rise name ring, which mm -hmm. I still have in my crib. Okay. Um, Mark Buchanan was big, so okay. there was the Pele Leathers. Bud Brothers. Mm -hmm. you, you, you already know, and then <laughs> you know there there was the uh, the uh, uh, the boots, the boots. There was uh, the A solos. ACGs? No, before ACG. ACGs came out later. Right. Um, there were the A solos and there was these other uh, other boots that we used to love to wear back then, you know. And so and you're feeling good, man. Yeah. Like you you out here, you're meeting women. Yeah, you know I'm saying. Yeah. Where, where you where you going to eat right now with with, you know, there was there was uh uh there was a steakhouse on 86th okay. Street we used to what? go to all the time, you know. Um, which which is one of the spots that we frequent a lot. Right. You know, my man, you know. We used, to, he used to take us to these exotic spots up in the Bronx. Yeah. Where you can, you know, you're up in the bar and you go downstairs and it's a dance floor. Mm. Off the app. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and, and so that was a whole different lifestyle. But, but, nobody but now you're living, though. But now you're living. Right. And nobody questions what you do because they just see the, the, the jewelry and they see the Pele and they see the money. Right. And women are like, hey, you know. What's your pops that? telling you, man? You know, my pops, you know, he didn't condone it. You know, but he understood as a man. He said, I know you trying and they not giving you no breaks, you know, but he ain't condone it, though. But he just was like, I, I, I understand what you're doing. Are you driving right now, man? I wasn't driving. Okay. I didn't drive. I didn't drive. Taking cabs? Yeah, we, we was renting them you cabs. Cannondale? We was renting them cabs and, and, and <laughs> there was a couple of cars that we used to get on the regular and take us through Harlem right. and ride around and, you know. Go see other dudes. Yeah, you know what, man? I'm not condoning what you did, man, but at, at least I'm happy that you got to live. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You got like, to live like, a little like bit of at, at the time, the freedom that you were able to get yeah. from doing illegal shit, man. How did you get caught caught, though, man? Well, you know what happened? I was on my, I was on my way home, and um, and so uh, they was waiting for me in front of my crib. Cops? No, parole. Parole. And, um, and I saw them, and I made the U-turn, and I boogied on them. I left them. They saw you? They saw me. Right. So they were jumping in the car to try to, you know, try to wait for me to get in the house so they can run up on me. Right. And I boogied on them. But because they can go and search my room, they did a U-turn and just doubled back to my house and they went in and got the stuff. And so they didn't catch me. 
Um, but I knew I couldn't run. Right. My name is all over the paper. And it's you. And it's me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, you know what? Somebody's going to shoot me. You know what I'm saying? This convicted rapist, right. on the loose, armed and dangerous, selling drugs. That's that, that's a, that's a free one. Were you ready to die, man, at the time? You know, at that time I was. But when I knew I was going to get caught, I wasn't ready to die. <laughs> that shit changed up. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm going to just turn myself in. Right. And that's what I did. And then the cameras came again, man. They're yeah. Like, Here we and go. And there was an article that came out, um, you know, uh, uh, that I got caught with the drug case. Um, so and, now you're making, it, the, you're making the same fucking animals that put you in happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or thinking that they made the right decision. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But at the time they knew they, they made the right decision because, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the whole case hadn't unraveled yet. Yeah, exactly. Right. So they're like, see, told you, look, there he goes again. And yeah. how do you feel, man? Like, do you hate your life at this point? You're like, I'm, I'm fucked up. I know at this point I'm guilty. Right. So my best thing now is this is that street mentality. You know, you try to lessen the damage. Right. I ain't here to fight this case and I ain't here to prolong it. Right. Give me something that I can handle and I can come back to. And so, that's what happened. Yeah. So you had already eaten seven. Yeah. And they gave you the. They, they, gave, gave, me, they gave me a three and a half to seven. Right. And um, because you cop, you cop, because I cop, right. and it was a nonviolent crime. But I knew I wasn't getting work release and none of that stuff. Yeah. They're not gonna give me that. I'm yeah. still high profile, but I said I can come back off of this. One. Right, you know I'm guilty. I can eat this, and I went upstate. And um, how was it going back, man? It was rough because after you had that freedom for mm. a little while, you got to get your hair shaved off. You got to put the lights on your on your on your balls and cold and, that cold water come yeah, down. Yeah, and then you know bent over, cough and you know, all that stuff, and you got to put on them state greens, and um, and you got a new number, and then now you bump into cats who was in the juvie with you, and they're like, yo, you went home? Yeah, some of them ain't go home yet. Right. Damn. You know what I'm saying? And these are cats that I knew back from 89 that's still bitten, and they're like, yo, blood, you fucking up. Yeah. Like, you know you fucking up when inmates is telling you, yeah. you fucking <laughs> like up. You, but, you had a chance. But, but you know, those who have been home, they understand. Right. Those who haven't are like, damn, all I need is one shot. I ain't coming back. But they don't know about those obstacles that they're going to run into once they release. The struggles that you went through. I mean, I'll tell you, before you went in, when you were, what, 14? Yeah. Were you a virgin? No. Okay. No. Yeah, from Harlem. You, you got it in early. I was from okay, Harlem. Now, now, you know yes, what? Santana, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got explain that young. I got I got chosen. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know, one of the biggest things is when you come home yeah. is finally being able, I mean, you know, as a man, mm -hmm. you know, to, to have some yeah. involvement. Yeah. I but, mean, how was that after seven years? I mean, years? It, you know, I mean, when the money started rolling in, it, it was an abundance. You was punishing these, these chicks out here? You know, <laughs> I mean, the punching back, them in the back I'm of the head. I'm 21 years old, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm coming in back strong. Shining. Do, you know, doing them school. You, you, like, you, like you like Cameron and paid it full? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without the, the bottle yeah, of champagne. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, um, but, I mean, it was, it was great. So, how do you stimulate your mind now? Second bid, man. Like, what are you reading? Um, you know, one thing is that um, my first bid, right during the CP five, uh, bid, I I I started reading. My first book was Malcolm X, right? Mm. And then um, when I got into college, there was a professor by the name of Latif Islam who worked at Marist College, mm -hmm. and he taught blacks Black History Studies, and he was locked up during the Attica riots. So when we got our syllabus, 
there was about five or six books on there. And I'm like, what the hell is this? We need all this. And he said, nah, young blood, this is for your arson. This is starting, you know, the, the, these are your weapons for life. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? But after I read Malcolm X, I started picking those books up. Black history, you know, or people studied by Ed Pickney and um, uh, people's history by how it's in. You know what I'm saying? And I always tell people, get your book, get your hands on a book by how it's in. Mm. This is a white dude who writes this book and he, he, he keeps it so 100, you know, and that opened my mind, the right. black history and, and Hispanic and, history. And is that when you really tied in like, okay, so this is really what happened. That's when it starts to make sense to right. me. And I'm like, oh, but, but then again, look, I get released. Right. And then I fall into a whole different element. So I lose myself. Right. And then when I come back, when I come back, I start building with, you know, different brothers, you know, because now a lot of people know about this case and a lot of people have an opinion of these kids got railroaded. So when you start uh, uh, coming across dudes who are scholars in prison, your young blood read this. And I picked up lessons from the five percenters and I mm. start to read some of those and and those plus degrees that they give you them just is deep, you know, and and I start to get in tune again, you know, and and. And, you know, Herman Bell was, you know, one of the Black Panthers back in the days. He was at one of the facilities I was at. And just to be around these dudes, the knowledge that they give off is, is like, wow. It's amazing, man. Like, I hear, you know, from a lot of people that I respect, man, that, that, that have done a lot with their lives that, you know, no one ever wants to thank this situation of being incarcerated. But I've heard a lot of people say, you know what, I really came to myself like i really learned about myself yeah learned knowledge of self yeah so there, there's an appreciation yeah for that for that period yeah i you know i i sat in the um we did a uh we did an event with ken burns and somebody said um if you could take it all back would you and i had to really think about that <sighs> and i said you come know, on man the for obvious real. answer would be to say yeah yes, hell yeah yes. take it all back change my life but i said black hispanic from harlem I said, you know what? I have an appreciation for my life and I have an appreciation for where my life has went because if it wasn't for this this course that I took, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. My daughter wouldn't be here, which is my primary motivation. Right. You know what I'm saying? For why I do the things that I do. Your daughter was born when you you were out. When I got exonerated. Oh, okay. Exonerated. Okay. You know, right. we, you know, we're talking. That was God's gift. Yeah. 2004. Okay. okay right. Um, And then the position that it that that this case has put us in the film has put us in the 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 voice of the CP5 of how we give back and how we try to save people's lives and i said you know what if i could save somebody's life then it's worth it right that's my duty now yeah. you know i done met people who said yo because of your case i couldn't even go outside i want to go into law school and i want to become a lawyer crazy and I'm like, send me a check. You owe me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And not one. I met several people like that. Yeah. You know, and so that, you know, That's we deep, have man. we have taken something that was so negative and we turned it into something so positive. As we always do. Yeah. As, as, we, we, always as do. we always do. As we always you know, do. Uh, tell us about, because um, I'm sure a good portion of, my, of our listeners haven't watched the Central Park Five and Internets. If you haven't, man, it, it really is. If you if you if you if you're a listener other combat jackson man it's really an obligation for you to see the central park five is a brilliant documentary and ken burns 
you know, he he already does. I mean, I I'm, I love documentaries. Yeah. So you know, him and and his his, his daughter, daughter did a yeah. great job. Yeah, it was I crazy. Mean, even with that story, when you look at that story with Sarah Burns, you know, Sarah Burns was an intern who was working at our attorney Jonathan Moore's office, right? And so we walk in there to meet with Jonathan after exoneration, and she's in there. She's a young girl, and she never really knew the story. And so she he introduces Damn. us to her, and he tells her who we are. And she's like what and he tells her the story he she goes wow that's fascinating and so she says i'm in college can i write a paper and we're like yeah sure you know what i'm saying it's for him it's fine so she writes this paper and she starts to do research and then doing research she's like wait this a minute is this is fucked up. up and so this is a girl who father is considered one of the best documentarians yeah. in new period, york you know right Jazz. And her life is set. She's on her way to law school. Right. And she goes, nah, dad, I ain't going to law school. What wow. do you mean you're not going to law school? So you changed She's, her life. Yeah. She said, I'm going to help these dudes fight. And she, she said, I want to write a book. So she came back about four years later and she said, yo, can I write a book? And we were like, fine, because nobody else asked him to write a right. book. Right. And so Nobody's paying attention. Nobody's paying attention. Right. And this is after exoneration. Right. right? We still getting a bunch of backlash from the media. They still guilty. Don't let them off the hook. Fuck and so. This. This girl starts to write this book, and in her early stages of these chapters, her father's editing her chapters, and he starts to read this shit, and he's like, holy shit, I thought these kids were guilty. Everybody thought she was guilty. Exactly, and he says, I want to do a film. So she comes back, and she goes, my dad wants to do a film, and I'm like, well, who's your dad? And she goes, Ken he's Burns. Stop, he's like, stop playing. And I don't know, I didn't even know who he was. Yeah, I yeah. said, who the fuck is Ken Burns? <laughs> I don't know. And she goes, no, and she gives me Jack Johnson. Right. And I watched Jack Johnson, and I'm like, well, you know what? Since nobody else acts, okay. why not? Yeah, yeah, we ain't yeah. got nothing to lose. Right, right. And the rest is history. Right. Tell us about when you heard M Mateus Reyes' uh, confession. Man. You know, it's crazy because I'm up in Franklin, right? Franklin's by the Canadian border. We told my nine hours from New York. Mm -hmm. And so they packed me up and they transferred me down to uh, uh, Downstate Correctional, which is reception. And I'm sitting there, and they got me on this this title called trans I'm not it's, I forgot I forgot the exact terminology they use and so I don't know why I'm there I go into this room um and there's three officers sitting there detectives the fuck and so they're like you know we hey how you doing we want to talk to you about juvenile justice and we're trying to change juvenile law so we want to talk to you about this your case what do you mean you want to talk to me? So we start talking. And what's your, how are you feeling about it? But that? I'm like, something wrong here. It's not, right. it's not, it's not, it's fish. Because you already been through that. I already man. been through that, so right. you're not going to swindle me. Mm. And so, well, what do you want to know? He said, well, what happened with the case? I said, well, we didn't do it. What happened? I told him. Police coerced us, gave us these bullshit uh, stories, and we, you know, we put them together. We ran with them. And he go, okay. Then he pulled out these photos. And he's like, do you know anybody in these photos? And I'm like, nah. Well, there was one of my, Steven Lopez's picture was in there. Right. But Mateus Reyes' photo was in it, but I didn't know him, right? So they wanted to see if I knew Reyes, but I didn't know Reyes, so I didn't pick him out. And so I'm looking at the, the dude in the back, and he smirks at me. And I'm like, nah, something wrong. So Again. I keep asking, what the fuck y'all want? Right. You know what I'm saying? Nah, we just you know, we just want to change some some rules and some laws with juvenile justice. Y'all niggas is full of shit. And so I'm like, you know what? I need to go. Right. And so... Come to find out, find out Rez is in the same facility that I'm in. I'm in three complex. He's in one. Mm. He's telling them the story. And they're trying to connect you to him. And they're trying Still. to connect me. Fuck. They're trying to connect us. But they can't because I don't know this right. dude. He was a loner, you know. And so. But they're not, they're not believing you. They're not believing right, me. Right, right. right. 
and um and that DNA evidence is they still waiting on it to come back. And so when I get back to my jail, the story breaks, and I'm I come in, I'm coming into my dorm, and this dude is reading the paper, and on the outside is Rez's face, and it says something about the jogger. And I said, Yo, I snatched the paper. <laughs> Let me read this shit. Oh shit. And then it how do you, how, at that point, as you're reading this, what's going on through and your so heart? And so the kid's man. like, "What's the matter?" I said, "This is my fucking case." And I'm reading this shit, and they talk about him being a serial rapist, and and the DNA evidence is matching. And then right after that, he does a story, I think, with Dateline. Mm. And um, we sit in the day room. I sit in the back, and I'm watching this dude. And I'm like, "Holy shit!" But I'm so institutionalized. I'm saying they're gonna make him the sixth man, sweep this shit under the rug. And it's back to business. Right. Ain't you nothing going to change. Ain't nothing going to change. Right. And so they went through like an eight-month investigation. Fuck. And then Morgan Thorpe said, nah, you got to turn those charges over. Right. You know. So how do you hear about the charges being turned over? I'm in, um, I'm in Franklin, and we have these court dates scheduled. And so it's December 5th, um, 2002. And um, they go into court that morning. And so... I'm in the jail waiting. I said, told my dad, I'm, I'm going to call you about 3 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, somewhere around there. And when I call him, he said it. Case dismissed. Charges dropped. And I'm like, holy shit. And the crazy thing was that I'm in the dorm setting, so everybody's waiting. I go to the phone. they like, yo, go make the call. Go make the call. And I'm like, yeah, you know. But I'm, I'm fronting. I'm right. really like, shit, let's go make the call. Right, right. And I'm in the booth making a call, and everybody's standing there waiting. Mm. You know, about 20, 30 dudes just waiting. And I come out, and I'm like, what's up? Case dismissed, and they all just go crazy. That's crazy. Oh, shit. Oh, and they all just start going crazy. See, I was like, what the hell's going on? And he's like, you got an innocent man. This dude getting ready to go home. And then um, one of the dudes, he said, yo, but you here on a drug case? I said, yeah. He said, nah, they got to bring you back down, resentence you as a first-time offender. Call right. your lawyer. Yeah. And when I called him, he was ready on the case. Okay. He said, don't worry, we have you home by Christmas. Right. And I was like, fuck out of here. But he made it happen. And I walked out of there uh, December 21st. Wow. 20, 21st or the 22nd, two days before Christmas. Wow. Yeah, and um, and that's when I had to go to Queensboro. And I was literally in Queensboro like maybe two or three hours. Right. They said, this is going to be the fastest process in DOC history. And um, I walked out to those cameras that day that you see in the film. Yeah. You know. And um, and then I went home and, and, and I couldn't answer the phone for like two weeks because all the media was just calling my house, you know, trying to get a story. And we wouldn't do no stories until the lawyer said it was cool. Right. You know, and that's how I went. Yo, you know, it's, it's a happy ending, <clears throat> man. But, you know, now that it became public that you was wrong. I would imagine that the anger intensified also. Yeah, I mean, it didn't really get, I mean, because even after exoneration, we had so much backlash, right? You know, there were people still saying that we were guilty. Don't let us off. Don't exonerate us. And what are you thinking us. about these people? Like, like, like what, what, how are you feeling about these people? Like, that, that, that won't accept the facts. You know, I mean, we got to the point that we don't even know what to do with them. Right. You know, no matter how hard you try to prove your case, they still just stuck on the same story. And, you know, it, it gets to the point that you just say, fuck them. Right. You know, at the end of the day, we have to affect change and we got to do our part by changing the system from inward to the out. Right. 
and we do that by affecting change to the kids early. Right. You know, that we doing like that future change. And and with them, they still I mean, this they did things didn't really turn for us until the film. Yeah. So even when the book came out, the Daily News said, you know, they put headlines of thugs and, you know, uh, and, and whenever we did interviews, it got chopped up. And it wasn't about, are they, you know, it wasn't about they're innocent. It was, are they, you decide. Mm. And so that's why we stopped doing the interviews. Because right. they, were, they were basically turning everything around. Yeah, and, they were still trying yeah. to do us dirty. But it wasn't until this film came out and then we did our first film festival. Well, Ken Burns... And and Sarah and Dave, who's her husband, who's also executive producer and director of the film, they um they went to uh Cannes and they went to Tell You Ride and you know, they got a nice reception, but they called me to go to Toronto mm. and it was on my birthday. Right. We did a film festival, Toronto Film Festival. And was this uh, your first time traveling? That was my first time traveling. Did, wow. I had to get my passport. First time on a plane? Yeah, first yeah. It was No, no, not my first time on a plane, but first time going to Canada. Right. And so we go up to Toronto, and, I mean, it was so great. The streets yeah. were so clean. I'm like, shit, this is real. And um, <laughs> that night, we, we up, in the, we up in, the, um, in the theater, and there's about five, 600 people. Nobody know I'm there. So I get to sit in the middle and just listen, right, and watch the film. What are you thinking when you're watching this film, man? Is it, what's, what's it bringing back, man? You know, at that time, at that time, I wanted to just soak in the audience's response, right. their energy, and I felt it. People in there crying, cursing, getting upset. And and I was like, wow. But what happened was when they introduced, after the film was over, they introduced Sarah, Dave, and Ken. And they go up on stage, and then they introduce me. Right. And when I get up there, I get a standing ovation. And they're just going crazy. They're going nuts. And afterwards, so many people come up to the front. And everybody wants to hug. How, how you feeling about this crowd now? Cause... No, no, you know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. But the love that they was giving me, like one lady brought her two kids. And and she said, my daughter just wants to hug you. And the daughter must have been about 12. Wow. And so when she hugs me, she just breaks down and starts crying. And she's sobbing. And I had to hold her, you know what I'm saying, and talk to her. And, and, and then the mother's crying. And she's like, you know, we're so sorry. And that's how the whole, that's how the whole thing went out played out and Sarah Ken and Dave was like holy shit we got to bring them to more film festivals yeah. this and kid then, is a star right now <laughs> and I wound up doing at least 30 film festivals Wow! like we was every week we was going somewhere and all the burn you know I don't mean to get in your pockets man but are they taking care of you man no you know what because we didn't make a deal for no payment because right. we had the civil suit pending mm-hmm. and the city was just so thirsty to say Ken Burns is paying them so we said nah so you decided so how, how are you living hmm? how are you living there? well you know uh, uh, what, what started to happen was that because of the film festival and because of the film we started to get requests and so I wound up going down to the Innocence Project one day because I haven't never been down there and I went to this woman named Liz Webster shout out to Liz Webster and um, she goes Raymond I get a lot of requests for speakers do you speak and I said, I do a little bit. She said, would you like to? And I said, sure. And once she put me out there, it was over. You know what I'm saying? And so we were still doing a film festival with the so Burns. So, so, she, so she helped you put a price tag. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. nice. She helped me get an honorarium. Nice. And so so I was still doing a film festival. How nice is the honorarium? Nah, it was good. Yeah, nice. It was good. Yeah. You know, it was good. I can't, you know. 
it became I'm a like, full-time job, right? Almost. Yeah. But I'm still working though. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, where, where are you working? At that point, I was I was I was I was I was working at the gym. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I, gym? I was a New York sports club. Okay. I was a personal trainer and um and then I became a manager. And then when all this stuff started to pick up, I had left and I started working for the union. I worked for 1189 SEIU. Right. I'm at the pension and benefits fund. So I, I had just started working at the, at the, I was in there maybe three months. Right. When, you know, they saw my face in the daily news and it was like, oh, you work here? And I'm like, shit, I'm going to get fired. Right. But they was like, nah, you here now. Right, right. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And so um, I was doing both. But there was a lot of, you know, and they became real, really good with me. You know, I got to go do a film festival. They was like, go handle yeah, your business. I mean, you're the star employee now. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about the civil case, man. They, they, mm-hmm. the, you know, you guys bring the civil case against the city. Yeah. And these motherfuckers are fighting tooth and nail. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we filed that in 2003. And so. Bloomsburg. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We thinking, you know, this is going to be done. Right. And, and. They, you know, it's funny because what happened was usually, excuse me, usually when, when you get an exoneree, they filed a court of claims case, right? Which entitles you to monies based on how long you spent in prison, mm-hmm. right? Which is a small figure. And so they was pushing that on us. We're going to take care of you. We got you. Just come on and sit at it's the like, table. Was, it's like what? Like like roughly what the what's the figure? You're like? talking, I mean, you know, you, you, you can... Walk away with five hundred thousand. Okay, you know somewhere. I mean, it could be even less than that. Right. You know, and so they're sitting there saying, "We got you. Just come on down. We're gonna straighten this out." But my lawyer was like, "You know, no. how did you want to snatch that? No, because five thousand amongst all of no, you. No, 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 no. Like you know, it might have been about maybe about six, seven million dollars for all five of us. Right, right, right. Right. And so, but my attorney, such a great attorney. I got Mike, Who, Michael Tarif Warren is my attorney. Okay. Roger Wareham, Michael Tarif Warren did legal work for Tupac, and, and Roger Wareham did. He he's doing a, a Geneva convention, and he, a lot of these dudes is good. Right. And so Michael says, "Nah, we'll, we'll get back to you. Give us a minute." <laughs> and then he hits him with the federal lawsuit, and they go, "What are you doing?" And he says, "Nah, we need everything opened up right. before we even negotiate any type of money." We need this whole thing to be opened up. And like I said earlier, once you file that federal, you know, the feds don't play. They're like, all right, get all those boxes. Don't you, We find out you're holding something, you're liable. Right. You better give up everything. And that's how we was able to get all the documents. But Corporation Council, some sneaky dudes. And so they start using their tactics. And so what they do is they send you this stack of waivers, right? And they start digging into your history, Right. And so for my father, they went back 25 years, right, into his life. And so they start looking to see, was he ever on SSI, workman's comp, anything that could be used as a deduction, right? right? And then they start to look at how he was as a father, right? Right, Because now they want to establish your credibility. And so- And they're playing dirty. And they're playing dirty. And and so that's what they're doing to all of our family members. Because you can only go back so far on me, because right. I was 14. But my dad, you can go back 25 years and dig into his shit and then be like, oh, you wasn't that good of a parent. You know, if anything, this case probably saved you. And so they was building their case up, which, it, it you know, it became public record right. that Corporation Council spent taxpayer dollars, about $6 million to fight. To, to fight. Right. 
And to Bloomberg fight. is so fucking arrogant. Yeah, Bloomberg, you know, he um, you know, and I think he went on the strength of Corporation Council. But when you look back in Bloomberg's history, Bloomberg worked at Solomon Brothers, which is the same place that the Jago worked. Mm-hmm. So that became personal for him. Mm-hmm. I'm not settling nothing. Right. And and you know, the tactics that Bloomberg used in the city, as we know, allowed him to stay in for three terms. So he was like, I'm not settling this case. Yeah, I fight him. And and so they was able to get away, you know, with 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 doing the underhanded stuff and prolonging this case. And then you get in these depositions. And I mean, they dug so deep into our parents' histories, our sisters, you know, our siblings. And they didn't pull no punches. What's the worst shit they pulled out? You know, um, you know, they try to say, you know, my dad was a bad parent. Right. You know, uh, my sister wasn't there for me. Right. You know, you know, they want they want phone records, right? From all the times that she picked up a collect call, right? How many times you sent them a package? How many times did you write them? Do you Damn. have stamps? Do you have bills? These motherfuckers are really evil, man. Like you gotta prove that shit right. because they, they look at that as a figure that they can add to the settlement. Right, right. And if you don't have it, that's a deduction. You know? Um and then for me, there was a whole bunch of dumb stuff that, you know, that you like, that makes no sense. Like, they had documents saying that I was married. I'm like, you, you bugging. Y'all, right. y'all tripping. Right. You know? Um, and that's how they do it. You know, they throw so much dirt at you that they want you to give up and say, you know what? F this. I'm going home. And then they just scratch you off the list. Right. One down. We got them. Ten more to go. Yeah. Except this is the highest profile right now. Yeah. It's the and, highest profile. And so we was, you know, the lawyers told us early, like, this is a battle. This isn't some overnight, this is going to last for some years, and y'all got to stick in it, and we're going to need y'all. And so that's why all the rallies came in and all the interviews that we did. And, and you know, when the book came out, it helped us, but when the film came out, it put us over the top. Yeah. And so we knew that we had to, because we knew Bloomberg wasn't going to settle. Yeah. So we said, and it's the first time I'm really talking about this. I appreciate that, man. Right? And so we knew, and everybody doesn't really can't attest to this but Antron 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 McCray he knows because we speak on the phone every day and we said you know what this is we have to strategize we have to get in front of every male candidate that's coming into this election Mm. and we have to get a photo with them or say I support CP5 and that's how we that's how we and, and that's why I'm Santana Raymond on Twitter on Facebook and off our followers, you know, we was like, we have to tweet these people and let them know, do you support CP5? And then John Lou stepped up and he said, I support you guys. You got, you got to serve, deserve a settlement. And then, but he was getting a lot of flack. Right. That's one of the first politicians that stepped up besides Bill Perkins, mm-hmm. right? Bill Perkins was there from day one. And so we got in front of John Thompson, right? Got the photo. I support CP5. We got in front of, 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 um, uh, What's the uh, the female? Uh, I can't. I'm drawing a blank on her. Um, and we met her in Albany. And she said, I saw the film. It's great. Got a couple of photos. Right. I support CB5. But we never knew de Blasio. Uh-huh. Right? Was that, was you know, came out. Dante was on the cover, right. you know, on the commercial. And he shoots up to number one. And we go, shit, we got to get the de Blasio. De Blasio. He's going to win this. Yeah. And so we start looking in archival p- pictures and. Uh, go online and then we go wait a minute he was the public advocate he has a photo with Corey he goes on Twitter I support CB5 they deserve a settlement there it is we gotta concentrate on him 
And that becomes one of his platforms, even. And that becomes his platform. Right. And so when it becomes his platform, we're sending, you know, I have, you know, two, 3,000 people on Twitter. Yusuf has the same. And then on Facebook, we have 4,000 a piece. So we started pushing people. I love your Twitter game, by the way, man. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and we start pushing people. De Blasio, settle CP5, settle CP5. And I mean, every day I'm sitting at work. That's what he said. I'm sitting at work and I'm like, De Blasio. And we, we're pushing, we're pushing. Right, right. And the more we push, the more he's like, yeah. You know, this is a moral obligation. We got to get it done. And we said, all we got to do is get this dude in office. Yeah. And then he gets in. And we, we really campaign. Like, everybody vote for de Blasio. And we campaign and he gets in. Now, once he gets in, you got to fulfill your promise. And the lawyers knew that. And we start to rally even harder, you know. And 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 the rest goes down in history. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> did you leave your job? Huh? Did you leave your job? No. I, I'm still working. I'm going to work tomorrow morning. Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, my thing is that when, when you know, when people of color come into some money, yeah. everybody expects you to run. Mm. Right? Take the money and run. Because that's like the normal. And But my thing is you don't do the normal. When you stay, they go, whoa, what the fuck? He's staying? Yeah, you don't stay without a plan. I mean, you don't leave without a plan, you know? And I say, until my plan is fulfilled, then I'll leave. Until then, I'm going to be right here tomorrow morning getting this check. How's how's the family been towards you? Meaning, you know, when you come into money, you know, sometimes. You don't owe nobody shit, man. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe pops. Maybe yeah, pops. I mean, of course. But. I mean, you know, immediate family, immediate friends. Right. My circle. You know, those are the ones who, who, who have held me down. My boy here, you know, hold me down. Uh, and I'm not talking like, you know, no bullshit. You know, I can call him in the middle of the night. He on his way. That, it's about loyalty. Right. And those are people you don't forget. You know, um, everybody else, I don't owe you shit. Right. I, I hope you have somebody advising you with this money, man. Well, you know, my, I, we got some great lawyers, man. Excellent. I mean, we got some great lawyers and but like even in terms of like financial, yeah, no, we got some great lawyers, right? So they they I mean, set you up. I mean, yeah, yeah, the lawyers are great. I mean, I can't speak about it, right? You know, as far as how, but I mean, this is this isn't an overnight relationship, right? You know, these these lawyers are invested. They've been part of this case over ten years. Right. They consider family. I can call them. Hey, how you doing? I got I got tickets for the Knicks. Mm. Let's go. That's how we roll with that. Now, now I ask everybody, or I usually ask people that come on the show. I'm saying, what's you know when they when they when they make money, like what's the dumb rapper shit that they've done with that first check? <laughs> Can you tell us what, at least because we know you like to be flashy. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's the dumb shit, the dumbest shit nah, you allowed yourself to do? I didn't do no dumb shit. You I mean, my you know, you gonna get yourself like a little roly at least, man. I mean, I got one right now. But I was getting that. I was getting that. Let me let me see the before the sleeve up. Let me see the sleeve up. I was ah! <laughs> tell you, classy. classy though. It's flossy, but yeah, it's, it's, it's classy. But this ain't the first thing I did. Right. First thing I did was I signed on as executive producer to uh, a documentary uh, called uh, Ken Bloodworth, an innocent man. Mm. He's the first exoneree that was on death row right. in Maryland. Wow. And he got exonerated in 93. And he went on to do numerous speaking engagements and the, the, and George Bush was able to pass a law, the Justice Act, that says that any federal inmate who asks for DNA testing can get that. And that's the first thing I did. Nice. 
you know, Sarah. So you're, you're investing, and 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 you're and you're and you're entering into the world of film right now, man. Yeah, and, because and I felt like you, I felt like Sarah didn't have to do that for us, right? And so here's an, another exoneree who whose story needs to be heard, and why not? You know, why not give him that chance? This is his story; it needs to be told. You know, this was a man who went to jail for the rape and murder of a nine-year-old girl, <laughs> and he didn't even do it, and he sat on death row for years. Right. And what's so what's so what's so crazy about his story is that he was a librarian in prison, and one day, you know, a, 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 a CO gives him a book, and it's like an introduction to to the DNA, and he reads this and he goes, "Wait a minute, this can set me free." And he calls his lawyer, and he says, "You got to get the DNA kit, the rape kit, and you got to test it." And the lawyer goes, he writes to the district attorney, they can't find the kit, they say it's lost, and so the lawyer can't find it. And he runs into the clerk, and the clerk says, I know where that kit's at. Mm. It's in the judge's chambers in his closet. I can take you to it. And they get the kit, and they test it. He's a free man. You know what I'm saying? And so that story needs to be told. Yeah. And and I want to do my part to put yeah. that out there, you know. You know, how you feel, man? I'm, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions, man. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about, like, even to this day, man, like like Trump? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the worst thing you could do is is, is pay them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, how do you how do you feel about like particularly Trump? You know, we're so him, vocal with this shit. You know, been vocal from day one. Yeah. Fuck and, that and, asshole. You know, I got a story about him that. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't I don't I don't like to use the word hate like because yeah. I don't like that word. But yeah, yeah. This man said this was the biggest heist in New York City history. Yeah. You know the the settlement and he's and, a douchebag. Yeah, definitely <laughs> and. And I said, you know, here's a man who, when you look at his history, right, he came into money, he inherited the business, right? His father was the real person who really put everything together. And so he got this silver spoon. But our community looks up to this dude, right? You got all our rappers, you know, they Trump, Trump, they're around him, they're partying with him. But this dude don't do nothing for our community. He takes away from us, but he doesn't do anything for us. And, and, and that shit hurts, man. You know, that he can go on there and talk about black and Latino kids and say, give them the death penalty. And nobody speaks out against him. Rappers, you know, entertainers who are in this man's face don't say nothing, don't check him. You know, these are the same kids who buy your music. You have a responsibility to the youth. And if he's saying kill us, he'll say kill anybody, yeah. you know. And I have a mutual friend that works for him. Right. And so... uh uh you know, one of uh, he was got into a discussion with one of Trump's head security dudes, right? And so he says, "I know Raymond." You know what I'm saying? And the security dude says, "Really? Well, I would like to talk to him." And so he calls me and he says, "Ray, you know this dude? He's Trump's ace. This is before you get to Trump, you got to get through him." Right? He's a smart dude. He wants to talk to you. And so I say, and "Why does he want to talk to you like that?" To, to, I guess you know he had a lot of questions that he wanted to answer that he wanted answers for. And he probably thought I was going to fold under pressure. And he wanted to be like, yeah, you know what? I spoke to Ray. The motherfuckers is guilty. And so I said, I ain't got nothing to hide. Tell him we can meet. And so we sat in the Starbucks one day on my lunch break. And so I go meet him. And he has this security dude with him. And we sit in there and we start talking. And I say, look, whatever you want to ask me, ask me. You got an hour. <laughs> I'm on right? the clock. I'm on the clock. Right. You know what I'm saying? But let's kick it. And we start talking and he asked me questions, but I don't got nothing to hide. All I got behind me is truth. 
when I finished talking to him, the man said, you know what? I respect you. Mm. At the end of the day. Now I'm talking to him and his security dude. The security dude shaking his head like, that's fucked up. You know? And he said, you know, Ray, I got to go back and tell the boss. I said, you do that. And he told the boss, if everyone talks, we can sit down and we can do this all over again. Right. I have nothing to hide from nobody. And he sees my man and he says, yo, I got a lot of respect for Ray. That's dope, man. I would love to take him to dinner one day. That's hot. And I said, you know, that that's a little too far, homie. Right, 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 right. But, it's a little too intimate right now. But, yeah, but, but you but, know. But still nothing from Trump. Yeah, still yeah. nothing from Trump. You know, um, I want to close. It's funny how, you know, this this case won't leave you alone, man. There's all this controversy <laughs> right now in the papers and, and cops fighting cops. What, what's, what's going on, man? I think, you know, you know, somebody from, um, this is my opinion. Yes. I could be wrong. Um, but I'm, a, you know, I think that somebody from Corporation Council, you know, took a document and they leaked it to the Daily News. And in that document, I basically, it's basically supposedly supposed to be saying, you know, that the city told Zachary Carter, who's head of Corporation Council, if you're going to settle this case, don't settle with no more than $15 million. Okay. Right. Um, but if you're sitting there saying we're guilty, why settle at all? And so they make it seem like they gave us the ultimatum, either the $15 million or let's go to trial. And we're like, don't sit here in front. Like, we've been ready to go to trial five, six years ago. We, we pulled out first. That's right. Y'all the ones who kept prolonging this shit. And so, you know, and then they put the blame on Zachary Carter and say, well, we told you $15 million and you settled for 41 So now they're trying to make him the enemy. But I personally think that it's somebody in corporation council who probably thought they was going to get Zachary's position mm. and they didn't get it and they bitter. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And they got this this deep-rooted hate against us because Linda Fairsting likes to go down there and hang out with them dudes. During our, during our court proceedings, during the civil case, she has come to the courthouse numerous times, sat there with them dudes with about 20 interns and tried to intimidate. and giggles. Yeah, and then try to intimidate people. Right. So somebody in corporation council is really friendly with her. And so that's where it comes from. You know, it comes from... That person who who's upset, maybe they didn't get that position, and so now they 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 uh uh they put that stuff out there, and then Pat Lynch, who's the PBA president of the union, he jumps on that quick, you know, because for whatever reason, you know, whatever he wants to be done, it's, his voice isn't being heard, right. so now he wants to use us as a stepping stool and said, you know, de Blasio, you know, this is where our money's going, yeah. and so they're trying to start this campaign, which is really against de Blasio and Zachary Carter. Um, but, but they're they, using y'all. They're using us, right? And then That's what's this exactly. other situation with the with the black cop that arrested you? And what, what the fuck is that? This just looks so messy right now. You know, this, this is a detective. That's the arresting officer. Yeah. His name is Eric Reynolds, the right? one that quote unquote invented the term or, or yeah. came up with the term Wilden. <laughs> so, so he's the one that apprehended me and Stephen Lopez. And so, you know, he um when you, when you look at his testimony, I mean, if he got on the stand and he had to testify. He is, his testimony going to last no more than 30 minutes. Right. So he's really irrelevant to this case. And so it's him trying to make himself bigger than what he is. And he sits there and he says, I've, I'm the first person, first police officer in my report who wrote Wilding and Wolfpack. And we're like, really? Like, you really want that credit? I know, right? You know, you're really that thirsty son? You're really that thirsty son that you want to really sit there and make your 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 position bigger than what it really is. And he says, how come I wasn't named in a lawsuit? And I said, you know why? Because you ain't do shit. Because you're a fuck boy. 
Exactly. <laughs> you know, he's an ultimate fuck yeah. boy. <laughs> and and, and he, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we talking about the Hardigans, we talking about the Royals, we talking about Mike Sheen, the the. The homicide North Detective Squad are the ones who was really in the middle they of this masterminded this shit. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And they presented it to Elizabeth Lederer and Fasting, and they made the decision to push it forward. Yeah. That's it right there. That's the nucleus, yeah. not Reynolds. Reynolds ain't got shit to do with nothing. Yeah. What's your relationship like with the, with the other members of the other uh, Central Park Five, man? You know, um, people always ask that, and, and I always say, you know, we're not friends. You know, we're brothers. Yeah. You know, because we took this situation and all we had was us and we banded together. You know, Antron McCray calls me every morning. And when I tell you every morning, he calls me every morning right. for years. Um, I just spoke to Kevin the other day and I spoke to Yusuf today. Right. So we always speak. We're going to the Giants game this Sunday. That's hot. You know, shout out to Harry Carson. Yes. You know, um, good friend of ours. And, and so we're going to watch Giants and 49ers. Nice. What's up with Corey, man? You know, Corey, I haven't spoken to in a while. And Corey, you know, you know, his situation is so fucked up. Yeah. He's been through a lot and and you know, that isn't something that's gonna fix itself overnight. Right. You gotta give the man time. And and now he's in a situation that's even worse because people always assume settlement, money. So all these people are coming at him, you know, and he has to like, you know, back them off and, and you gotta give the brother time to, right. you know, come around. But have you done any uh counsel counseling man or, or, or like like therapy? No. You know, my counseling is done when I go out there and I speak in front of them two or three hundred kids. Right. You know, excuse me, that we you know, so many of those uh uh speaking engagements that we do, you know, throughout the year, through all these colleges or all, all across the state. And that becomes my therapy when yeah. I get to sit there and just vent. You know, talking about like, your time, and, and I feel vent, great. Vent, vent with a purpose, man. Yeah, vent with a purpose. What's next for you, man? What's next for you guys, man? All together and individually. Well, you know, I mean, we got some things that we're trying to put together. Mm -hmm. You know, the, I told you this, the, the documentary about Kurt Bloodworth, which should be out in um, March. Um, you know, there, there might be a foundation in there somewhere. Yeah. You know, because now that we have this platform and we're talking to these kids, we want to dig a little deeper into that. You know, we want to give more. And so a foundation is a perfect way to do that. Right. You know, have all these people coming in, give ideas and, and let's strengthen our communities. And the reason and how we do that is by strengthening their minds, you know, to equip them with life, to get them ready, you know, and, and, and that's the best thing you that's the best gift you can give anybody yes. is yeah. an education. Yeah. You went through the worst period, through one of the worst eras of New York, but here we are in twenty fourteen, stop and frisk gentrification the whole nine what do you think has gotten better or worse you know i think that uh uh it it it, it has camouflaged and it has uh, uh it has shifted where before it might have been more blatant now it's done behind the scenes it's strategically done to us stop and frisk again just like the super predator stop and frisk was a tool that was used to instill fear into the people to tell people to say to the police do something you know, and so now when they start coming in there and they come into our neighborhoods and they're snatching up our kids, nobody says anything, you know. But what happens is that as, you know, the statistics say 1% results in arrest. So that means there's me and you and us that's coming home from work and we're being stopped, right. you know. And so it's not, you know, what what is it really used for? It's not really to prevent crime. It's right. just to scare people, right. you know. And, and, and I think that when we look at those tactics— 
we have to question those who are in positions of power, those at the top. We sit there and say the police is the problem, but somebody's giving the police the rules. Somebody's giving them, somebody's brainwashing them to go out Because they're not that smart. Then, they're not that smart to mastermind this shit. Exactly. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it has to come from somewhere. And then you have these officers who testified at the stop and frisk trial that they were given quotas, five stops a day, you know, one arrest. So you're putting these dudes under pressure to perform this duty that they probably don't really want to do, you know. And so we have to look at those who are in positions of power who make these policies, procedures, and these rules, and also our politicians. We have to hold everybody accountable. That's why the vote is, the power of the vote is is, is so real, you know. Um, I go and I vote all the time, you know. It's, it's, it's so, especially to our communities. Yeah. Because that's what they respect. They respect when we come out in these numbers. Mm-hmm. You come with five people, they give you a nod. You come with 5,000, they're ready to talk. Yeah. You know, and, and and that's the old way of doing things. Yeah. It's about the numbers. You know, if your ratings don't have these numbers, they're ready to shut you down. Yeah, you, ain't, you, ain't, you ain't about shit. You ain't if, about if you, shit. If you're not representing, man. So now that you're finally out, man, and, and, and your life is completely different and you're completely free, man. What are you listening to these days? Um, you know, there's Jay Z, there's there's Rick Ross, Rose, um, <laughs> Rose, shout out to Bel I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but you, I'm from Harlem, so I can't. You know, Jim, Cameron. You know, I still got a dipset, dipset all yeah, yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, that 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 joint he got with A Trackers, mm-hmm. it's bananas. Um. But I still go back and I, I, I find myself, I used to not be like that. I was, I was always like, once you move forward, move forward. Right. But then I started hitting up some of the oldies. You know, P-Rock and CL Smooth, Public Enemy. 50? Um, 50. Oh, yeah, 50. You know, that's my workout music. Okay. You know, especially uh, some of the new stuff. The whole G-Unit stuff. Yeah. I love that. That yeah, they back yeah. together. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm in the gym, I definitely, that's what I rock to. You rocking that young thug? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. You know, for me... <laughs> You know when when um there was a there's a this post on Facebook where they asked him about the whole Mike Brown and Ferguson and and he sit there and, he, and he's standing and he goes you know I don't know about that we just out here getting money and I felt like that's a you know it's a piece of shit man yeah. that's sorry at the end of the day these are people who buy your records man and and you have a as an entertainer you might not know that but you have a duty you you know you have a duty to those who listen to you you are a role model you are a leader. You know, and if you just giving them bullshit, then you ain't taking them nowhere. And so I refuse to support music like that. That's and dope, man. Especially when you start wearing skirts and shit like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. That's yeah. a whole other thing. That's dope, man. Thank you. Exactly. But listen, man, I really thank you for, for coming on the Combat Jack show, man, and, and, and sharing with us and, and talking the way we talk. You know no what I'm saying? Anything else you want to leave the audience with, man? I'm good. I yeah. mean, you know, at the end of the day, I, I thank everybody who, su- who uh, supported CP5 throughout the years. You know, all the emails, you know, the Twitters, the DMs, um, you know, the Facebook pages, you know, the Instagram is crazy. Um, but I just thank everybody for the love and support throughout the years. Definitely. And, and, and I thank you. And, and, and I speak for Pete and everybody else in this booth, as well as everybody that's listening. That they thank you as well, man, for, for being so so forthcoming and honest with your experience, man. Thank you. And, and I salute you, sir. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Salute you back. Pete, this is this is special, you know. I mean, sometimes we say that uh, with when we deal with artists and stuff like that, but this is really to the heart, man. I really, you know, I, I'm I'm touched, pause, but I'm I'm touched by, <laughs> by by just your story, man. You know, it's like you know you could have gave up at any time, man, and yeah. and you know, 
you know, all the wrongfully doing and, and, and you know, you're a survivor, man. And, and, and it means a lot, you know, just, just, just to know that, you know, you guys, cause it's funny. Cause I, I, I remember saying with combat with the settlement, man, you know, you literally grew up in prison, man. No money could give you back your childhood. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I, I, we all, and, and I definitely wish you the blessings to you and your family and, and the whole Central Park Five. Man. Thank you, man. I, th I think the biggest thing was that people thought that we was gonna take the settlement, and we was gonna run. Right. And Yusuf always says, "We're not gonna be on the beach sipping my ties. We're gonna be right here in the battle, front line, making it happen." Yeah, no tie tie. Yeah, maybe That's on right. the weekend you go to you know go go away somewhere, <laughs> but when you come back Monday to Friday, you keep on empowering the community. Definitely, man. definitely. The best thing was that you know they said um, you know. They 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 charge us, tried us, convict us, sent us to prison, you know, within two years, right? And so this case has been on for twenty five years, and we got some victory. Now you got to deal with us for the rest of our lives. Yeah, you ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you, Internet. You know what it is, man. It's the Combat Jack Show. Dream those dreams and man up and live those dreams, because a life without dreams is black and white, and the universe flows in Technicolor surround sound. Blow. Blow. Peace. No this episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Mena, executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow, engineered by Samir Karan, and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production.